Let's let's talk about this episode as we're about to get into it, and uh, it's a short stack. I should That's say right. I'm Ted. I'm Brian. There it is. This is the Canada FM podcast where we talk about Canadian bands that never really hit it big outside of, uh, you know, the 49th parallel. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's taken uh, like several episodes where I kept having to correct <laughs> you, but you got it right this time. Good job. <laughs> Mazel. There we go. I did okay. And uh, we're going to get into it pretty quick tonight um, because I listened to that Rascals episode. And, you know, when we talked about the Rascals, we were (laughs) were talking about music. It was the 45 minutes it took for us to start talking about music (laughs) that I think some people had umbrage with. Hey, hey, I left a note in the episode notes. I said, hey, fair warning, there's some preamble. Skip ahead 20 minutes if you don't like that. Because I think we got around the 25-minute mark, we got into it. But then we got quickly sidetracked with something else. So we made a quick detour. But it, it took us a little bit to get going. But, uh, you know, these short stacks, they're quicker. They're breezier. Um, there are bands that, uh, you know, maybe they only had one or two albums. Maybe they were a one-hit wonder. And I, I think you could probably classify... Even though it wasn't so much a chart hit, it was a pop culture hit. Today's band, Live on Release. How would you say it was a pop culture hit? Everyone was talking about I'm Afraid of Britney Spears. Because, now I should also mention this is the second crack at recording this episode. (laughs) But as I mentioned in the last one, I'm Afraid of Britney Spears. Like, granted, Eminem had talked about how much he hates boy bands. Kid Rock had talked about how much he hates boy bands. But those were dudes. This was the first time a group of girls came out and said, we hate this music that we're the target audience for. And they don't really like give out like big hate vibes. It's more done tongue in cheek and it's done in a fun way. But it was the first time for me. Hey, did you see those girls saying about how much they hate Britney Spears? You know what I mean? It was a talking point for high school students like us because they're they're our age. They're at least uh, uh, the lead singer's born in 85. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so yeah, it was more in the cultural zeitgeist than it was a big hit, but uh, at least around if you were in high school in the early aughts, like we were. Um, and yeah, because like, even though the song is called I'm Afraid of Britney Spears, there's no hate. It's literally just, you know, she's intimidated because, and we can get into this later or now, but the, uh, like the song lyrics are actually more about, um, being true to yourself and how a lot of people kind of you know for the for fame and fortune they kind of are disingenuous you know they get dressed up they they're fake um and where is it there's a i have a whole part about it yeah here it is a song about how people should not only not chase perfection but look past looks to see the person within Uh, that's what they said that song is about whereas like a lot of the pop stuff at that time probably was 
devoid of a lot of substance. I mean, some of the ones had a bit of things here and there, like uh, Christina Aguilera's um, Beautiful. And... Yeah, yeah. And I think we, we did mention it last week, how, like, okay, I've never, and this is going to sound sacrilege to a lot of people listening. I, to this day, am not a fan of Britney Spears' voice. I don't think she's that good a singer. I know Christina Aguilera is a good singer. She yeah. oversings, which I'm not a big fan of, but I know she's got pipes. Some of the Backstreet Boys, uh, AJ, you cannot say AJ's a bad singer. Right. That motherfucker can sing. You know what I mean? Like, there is an element to that, that when we were young and stuff like that, that we would try to take pot shots at them as, at wherever we could. But now we're adults. We're like, okay, they had talent. I think it was just the product that was put out there. How polished it was, how prepackaged it was, right. how it had a very much a target audience. I think that is what I'm afraid of. Britney Spears was rebelling against. Yes, yeah. rot guys were rebelling against. Well, that's and I girls, mean, like I like movies. you, uh, you and I, not only were we rock guys, but like we were like punk and ska guys, and those guys definitely <laughs> no one's <laughs> no one's pack- packaging those guys. Unabashedly dorky. Well, I know. That's like, why we like bare naked ladies so much. People shout at them, and we saw ourselves in them. <laughs> yeah, bunch of nerds. But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, this, like I guarantee you, no stylist in their right mind would be like, "You need more Hawaiian shirts, more flowers on those shorts," <laughs> like in Real Big Fish or some of those other bands. But um, did I ever tell you that story? About how I was making this girl I was dating a mixtape of like stuff that we were both making each other tapes of bands we liked. And I texted you and I texted my sister because I wanted a ska fan and a non ska fan's point of view. And I said, Is seven ska songs too much? <laughs> and my sister wrote, One ska song is too much. And you wrote, There's no such thing as too much ska. <laughs> She was cool with the seven ska songs, though. I mean, it's one thing if you're trying to like, if if you're dating a girl who doesn't like, you know, admits like, you know, I really only listen to like pop or country or something. I don't really know a lot about other stuff. Uh, It's one thing if you're trying to give them like a well-rounded educational playlist or album or mixtape versus like, hey, here is me. This is Teddy. Like, if if you're trying to say here is Teddy, seven ska songs is not enough. Well, that's true. I did make room for other bands that are me. Like, the band was on there. Bruce was on there. Uh, I think I had Jurassic 5 on there. Um, the Clash. Well, that's, that falls in the ska category. Well, it depends uh, on mean, which one you use. don't remember which song it was. My favorite Rudy Can't Fail. Oh, okay. um you know the one thing speaking of like how we're punk and ska guys and they're not pre-packaged the one thing that sucks is you know posthumously the ramones became like the most like marketed and like you know every little poser peewee punk fan or like pop punk lookalike at hot topic was wearing a ramone shirt and yeah and uh the clash star became popular and well look 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 at look look the was it the misfits i think had one subhumans Subhumans are a band that i don't i can't even name you one subhuman song but you see their t-shirts and their pins and patches 
right. all the time. Um, you know, it's it's when you die. Look at Sublime now. You know, that is turning into a, a marketing empire. Their shirts and stuff like that. Right. Um, Bob Marley. Bob Marley had a reverse energy drink that I bought once. Didn't work. You need a couple of reverse energy drinks to get me mellowed out. But uh, what's it called? Like, I bought Bob Marley coffee pods for work a couple weeks ago. So, like, dumb. you can get anything with his name on it. Isn't you know, it true really? that because I, I heard this about the Sid Vicious, uh, and I think Joey Ramone, and I think Bob Marley too, they all died in debt and they've made more posthumously than alive. Yeah. Yeah. The one surprised, but, especially Sid Vicious, because he was. They had no money, the Sex Pistols. Right. Back then, yeah. And then you look at guys, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Brad Knoll had no money. Oh, yeah. Um, you look at guys like, um, uh, what's the, oh, Brent likes him. Oh, fuck, it's going to kill me. Acoustic singer, stabbed himself in the heart, that's how he died. Um, fuck, what's his name? Uh I'm sure if Brent's, when yeah. Brent is listening to this, he'll be yeah. like screaming at the phone or the yeah. well, listening well, device. Well, well by the magic of uh, rock stars who killed themselves. Oh, that's too vague, idiot. Just Google rock star stabbed themselves in the chest. No, it'll come up in this. Ugh. Cornell, Cobain, Chester Bennington. Well, those are the, Cornell and Cobain and Chester had money. Ian Curtis, Tom Evans, Michael Hutchins, Wendy Williams, Bob Walsh. Actually, Ian Curtis, there's another Vince, one. Keith he died Vince. with uh, not Which a lot of money either. Oh, come on. Yeah, you're right. This is a lot of people. Okay, Stanley. Find- Courtney Love's alive. <laughs> yeah, they don't even have a date. Well, Brad Noel died of a drug overdose. He didn't kill himself. Same with Scott Weiland. Oh, this is just dead rock stars. Jim Morrison was a drug overdose. Amy Winehouse was from uh, Withdrawal. I oh, mean, you on. could almost argue that that's killing themselves because they elected to do the, okay, let me, let me the see. mellow Elliot route. Smith. Elliot Smith. And he kind of died before he hit any kind of fame. Oh, and uh, the dude... Um, oh, what the hell's his name? Uh, from Big Star. Alex Chilton. Oh, yeah. I think he Same died deal. a little... Yeah, less uh, less yeah. on the fundage. Yeah. I don't know how he got on this. Oh, I guess he got on it because we were talking about marketing uh, uh, bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I feel like the marketing, after, you know, giving a second spin through the album, I feel like the marketing for Live on Release back then didn't do them justice. That's my opinion. Well, we'll get to that. Better band than the novelty that they were marketed as. We'll get to that at the end. Um, but uh, for now, who has two thumbs and's got some notes? This guy. Oh. And I'm going to, since you already did the preamble or the uh, intro, I'm not going to fumble through that again. Because that first one was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Refresh my memory. Oh, what yeah. was what was your live on release story? Not the crappy setup that I tried to do for you last time, but you said you actually had oh, a no. Li- I- do I have a live on release story? Well, I tried um, to pitch you one from high school, and you're like, that's no story. And then you had another one that you mentioned to me. You're like, we could have used that. Oh, it was that when I was, uh, uh, if you listen to the Serial Joe episode, 
I, I, I was able to fill it in for Daniel because he was like, and we toured with, he's like, what's that all girl band that Biff Naked was trying to push? I'm like, live on release? He's like, yeah, live on the release. <laughs> I'm like, I must look like a giant nerd right now. <laughs> oh, that's a weird phrasing how he's like, Biff Naked was trying to like push it on other people. It's like, well, they I mean, were, they were her band. No, I know, but it's like, it's one thing if, uh, you know, the band really sucked. And it's like the they're getting dragged out to all these festivals and things, and it's just like basically they turn into uh, what's their face from Mean Girls, like Gretchen. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's like <laughs> stop trying to make live on release happen. But well, they with, were this band, with this band, they were actually good. So I mean, they shouldn't have had they, to be forced on people. They should have just been like, "Hey, here's this band. They're pretty good." They were, but they were with Biff's label. Right. And like, I know, and, and earlier today, I looked up some of them and sent them friend requests on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> I sound like a creep. I know. <laughs> um, but I know the ones that do have open accounts, um, Britt and Carol, um, she posted recently her a video of her and live on release arriving at the MMVAs. And George Strombolopoulos is on camera. He opens up the limo and Biff comes out and they come out too. And it was kind of that thing that, like, you know, it, it, it was we talk about it so often on the show about how how come that band can't take another band under its wing and try to promote them. And she freaking tried. Well, that's the thing. It's like we, a few weeks back, maybe a month. I can't remember when Biff came out, but uh, time is uh, time is relative in the land of Canada. <laughs> but like even Biff <laughs> naked, like she had a lot of success here. So, I mean, trying to push them here is one thing, but I mean, like, she, like she couldn't even get herself uh, that successful down south. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta conquer one, one yeah. at a time. You know what I mean? Don't, don't try to climb Everest on your first uh, hike. Uh, do something a little smaller, you know? Try Kilimanjaro. That's a little bit smaller. What's that expression? You can't ride two horses with one ass? There you go. <laughs> All right. Um. So yeah, the story starts in Vancouver. Uh, as Ted mentioned, one of the people, Britton Carroll, the daughter of Pete Carroll, not the gum smack and spaz of a coach of the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> the rock manager who uh, we referenced in the Biff Naked episode. Uh, from an early age, she was destined for the music business. She learned the bass at eight. She switched to guitar at twelve. Um. And she got me beat. I didn't take up the get box till I was like, when in, what? I think we both got our instruments around the same time. I think it was summer of grade eight going into grade nine. Summer, it was, I think we were going into actually the eighth grade. Was that it? Okay. Hey, no, hey, no. you're Canadian. You say grade eight, not eighth That's grade. That's a thing? Yes. I didn't realize that was a thing that crossed borders. Oh, yeah. Americans say like eighth grade or ninth grade, hence the song Bare Naked Ladies grade nine that's the canadian way to wow. say it. It's, yeah it's i never realized that, that there was a certain way of oh yeah it. i used to get on my, used to get on my case when i would call pop soda that used oh, yeah. to bug you no <laughs> bad buzz unless you want me to give you a pop you say pop <laughs> uh but yeah so ted and i picked up our instruments roughly uh halfway through middle school uh, whereas like she was already streets ahead of us and you know when she was 10 
she did something really neat. Unlike Ted and I, like I was playing, <laughs> I was playing baseball, playing hockey, getting my dreams crushed by old dead man Morrison. Uh, Ted, what were you doing in summer in '95? Without being too crass, I'll just say hormones. <laughs> oh no, you go into this. You you went into it in graphic detail last time. You do it again. Brian, when you do something, uh, when you record something for the second time, you're able to edit <laughs> yourself a little bit and uh, not be as graphic. I'll let you say I was discovering my body. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, that's the proper way to say it anyway. Um, yeah, so Ted was discovering his body and reading comic books and watching baseball. And probably, is that when you discovered the Packers? No, I was a Packer fan. I became a real true blue Packer fan that year. I was trying to discover a team. Throughout third and fourth grade, grade three and grade four. There you go. Um, but I think, I, yeah, it was like grade four. I think I had them set because I remember who did I like first. I actually liked the Cowboys first. And that quickly changed to liking the Niners just because they beat the Cowboys. And, but they how didn't feel like how dare I, you? I realized I was just liking them because they beat the Cowboys. Also, my brother was a Cowboys fan, right? Um, and then yeah, fourth grade they won the Super Bowl, and then I like. I liked Washington for a bit, and I wrote like a, a story. Yeah, I liked Washington because I liked the the colors of their uniforms. I didn't. That's know true. That there wasn't was anyone that with that maroon. Horribly racist, um, but yeah, it was maroon and gold. It was a cool uniform, uh, but that kind of uh, you know fettered out. And you know, I still think they should have kept the Redskins name and just changed it to a potato. Yeah, I, and I remember my Packer love. Actually, you're probably right. It was probably about the. That's funny. I like that. <laughs> Uh, they can move to PEI. There you go. There you go. That's the place of um, away games. There. <laughs> uh, what's it called? Uh, well, because it was Sports Illustrated for kids, and uh, there's this enormous guy in the green and gold, and it said Reggie White, Green Bay Packers. Oh yeah, never heard of, never heard of the Green Bay Packers. The, the guy got a cool name. Who are these guys? And um, then I remember seeing. I turned on the game once, and it was just the uh, first time I ever seen them on television. The Packers. And it's Favre, and they're playing Atlanta, and he throws last second touchdown just as like I'm turning it on to win the game for them. I'm like, this is it, this is it. They're my team. Yeah. And that's when it happened. And then they beat they, they beat the Cowboys. No, they lost to the Cat. How they beat? I'm trying to think. They beat the Niners. They had a huge playoff win over the Niners. They're the huge underdogs going in, and then they lost to the Cowboys. Yeah. yeah, I think it was that uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, they actually won the Super Bowl, so uh, <laughs> I was pretty quick on the bandwagon. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll never fault a kid for jumping on a bandwagon. You get there's a there's a certain line. I think it's roughly middle school, definitely high school, where it's like, no, no, you don't get a pass from being called a bandwagoner. Like kids don't know any better. They'll see it. Like I just remember watching the Cowboys on TV. Uh, in the early 90s and i'm just like i love the silver and blue and they because they were so good they got a lot of exposure so i got to watch a lot of games and well, yeah that was it you 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 cheer for who you can actually see because there was no i think they had sunday ticket back then but then that cost astronomical yeah. amounts of money my family didn't even have tsn to like there you go way late when it was before i think once it stopped being a premium channel is when we were able to get it um but 
I remember one Super Bowl, I was over at Jeff Robinson's house, and him and Maneri, yeah. Graham Maneri, were bullying me, saying, you're rooting for this team, and they're losing! And I'm like, I'm not rooting for that. I think it was like Pittsburgh or something. I don't, I like, I don't like Pittsburgh. But yeah. they just kept trying to bully me. They made me cry. <laughs> oh, Graham told me all about it. He was like, because uh, I knew you were a Cowboys fan. And he yeah. came up to me, he goes, oh, it's hilarious. Probably cried at Jeff Robinson's house. I'm like, really? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. I went up to, he was, he's over there cheering for Pittsburgh. And I'm like, we're cheering for Dallas. And I'm like, uh, which is weird because I know Jeff Robinson's always been a Steelers fan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, he was Blackhawks and, and Steelers all the way. Yeah, always been a Steelers fan. He was the first Steelers fan I ever met. Um, and uh, what's it called? He's like, oh, I got right up in Brian's face and went, in your face, Brian, Dallas scored a touchdown. He threw a pillow at me and pouted. And I'm like, <laughs> He says Brian's a Dallas fan, and he was like, "I don't die." He was, he was, trust me, I was there, and I was like, "Doesn't make a whole lot of sense." And I asked you about it, like, "No, no, I wasn't cheering for them. They told me I was cheering for them. They just said I was cheering for them." Yeah, Um, the the bullshit kids do. Yeah. Anyway, but one one last. One, one last thing. Right, one I last will thing. say this about us, and actually most of our friend group, because a lot of our friends didn't get into football, or at least they weren't passionate about a team till a bit later, like when a, a bunch of them kind of jumped on the Bills fan bandwagon. Um, but like Pat was always a Niners fan, then he jumped always. off that to the Colts. Uh, we were Dallas and Green Bay. Your brother was Dallas. Um, but like Campbell's always the, been built. Well, I say he jumped on him a little later, but either way, like he jumped on the one they stunk. Did he? Okay. Well, yeah. We were the ones that stuck out from school because ninety percent of our class were Bills fans. Yeah, but yeah. Bills. We and were the also Steelers. The Steelers. Yeah. Hard, yeah. But a lot of kids also just picked random teams. Like Paul was a, a Redskins fan, a Washington yeah. fan, and like my uncle John is a Seahawks fan because he spent so many years out in Victoria. But uh, yeah, that's most the fun Canadians... thing about not having a Canadian team. You know what I yeah. mean? Is that you get to kind of you, you pick the team that calls out to you. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But you know, back to uh, hey, you know, your uncle John lives where? Now he lives in Port Dover. But he lived Victoria, and live on releases from Vancouver, <laughs> right down the road. We're back into it. Okay. Once again, you don't know geography. Van- Victoria is on an island. Cross the pond. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, well, Ted and Ted and I were fur, uh, furrowing our lives away on meaningful, <laughs> meaningless things. Britton Carroll co-wrote a song with Biff Naked, the song "Violence." We talked about that in the Biff Naked episode. Yes, we did. Uh, I imagine Biff probably did the majority of it, but it's still cool to be credited on a song when you're ten freaking years old. Um. And let's see here. Bah, 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 bah. Impressive nonetheless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I handed the Bare Naked Ladies a song, and when I was 10 years old, they were like, Hey, kid, this is hot garbage. Have some craft in it. We're lifelong sponsors. We're <laughs> <laughs> sponsored for life. Um, anyway, Carol has said that she has memories sleeping in rental cars with her sister in the backseat driving to events across Canada and the United States. She's also been, had, part-time jobs as a roadie sold merch at 98 edge fest and on top of that she's a black belt in taekwondo third degree level and apparently was quite the basketball player which is where the name live on release comes from 
it's apparently a b-ball maneuver ted google this real quick google yeah, what does line, google mean in basketball because i saw that too today that is no named after the basketball maneuver and i'm like hey, yeah it's a basketball maneuver. like Live i gotta think on... okay. i've been ba- watching basketball off and on for years since I was a kid, and I've never heard an announcer say, that's quite the live-on-release move. You know what I mean? If you actually play it. Um, like, unless it's part of the WNBA, like, basketball. fundamentals. Okay. Live-on-release. There's a lot of videos. Quick, like, it looks like it's just kind of, like, quick release. Basketball live versus dead ball. What is a release? Was a live ball. Okay, I... I can't find any definitive definition of the play. But if I were to guess, I think it'd be a quick give and go. Okay. Yeah, the ball release player should flick their wrists. Because that just makes sense. A live ball. The ball yeah, is so like, plucked. Yeah, so I think it's like, I don't know. I always knew it as the give and go. Okay. When you get the ball, you chuck it, you shoot, boom, quick. All right. Make it happen. I believe it's also called Shake and Bake. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, well, yeah. And the next one we'll get into the, the lead singer, call it Trudeau, no relation to JT, um, at least to my knowledge, is a classically trained opera singer, learned piano for several years as a child. She specialized in Celine Dion covers, country songs, did gigs for weddings, funerals, and the Cloverdale Rodeo, which was a thing out west, I guess. I she... believe we may have talked about the Cloverdale Rodeo in our Moffitts episode. Yeah, I think so. That sounds familiar. I believe they played that when they were starting out, too, at one point. So this Cloverdale Rodeo is a star-making machine. And also, I mean, it makes sense because the Moffitts uh, started out as a country band, right? So that was probably yeah. when she was doing the more of a country thing. Um, let's see. Where the hell am I? Oh yeah, she went to school with Carol, gave her a demo tape. I believe from my notes uh, at the time, it was a bit of a country thing. That quickly went to hell and uh, they wanted to do more of a rock thing. Um, so once they decided to form a band, they placed an ad in the Georgia Strait, a free weekly news and entertainment paper. And who answered that? But Fox Hurst. I know I'm I'm hyping it up like it means something. Felicity Foxhurst played the guitar, uh, but in at age 11, snuck into the band room to play a beat-up bass guitar. This led her to audition for the school's jazz band, being its youngest member, and this led her to sell all of her crap. I assume, you know, jelly bracelets, My Little Pony shit, whatever the hell girls were into in the 90s. I don't know. Let me Maybe just she was... Maybe she was breaking stereotypes and had like some sweet Jordans or something that fetched a pretty penny. I don't know, but could be. Now, when I did my initial research today, she kind of seemed like the life of the band. You know what I mean? Like she's always sticking her tongue out. She's always, you know, uh, the most dynamic for the onstage performances. With bass players, you kind of get there's no happy medium. They are either going crazy up yeah. there, making faces at the fans, you know, and going nuts, or they're just in the background. Yeah, like the guy from Fifty Four Forty, shaking the shoulders, <laughs> playing their bass. You know what I mean? Just smiling a little bit at the drummer, and that's yeah. it. You get all or you get nothing. 
That's true. <laughs> um, well, I remember uh, we were seeing Les and Jake and Big D in the kids' table, and the interrupters yeah. were opening. And yeah. uh, the bass player, I think that's GSC Bivona, because uh, there's a set of twins. The rhythm section are twins. And um, the a guy standing next to us like, oh, man, the bass player hurt his ankle. So he's got to yeah. like, he's got to sit on his bass case or something this time. And, and I'm like, what the hell? Who cares about the bass player? And he's like, oh, he's the life of the band. He's running around, dancing on the stage and this and that. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he does. But I think Kevin, the guitar player, the oldest brother, I think does more. But it, I, I was know. told too by their merch guy that it was, it, that's where we heard it from. Yeah. It was their merch guy. That's right. I went to buy their album and he told me, he's like, oh, you guys are missing a treat tonight. I'm like, what? He's like, uh, the bass man hurt his leg. He can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. We'll have to rifle through old bass. Yeah. Also, look at Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, there you go. Uh, um, you know, Flamin' Head Jim's always putting on a show there with BNL. That's true. Yeah. Although, but then you get yeah, someone but... like Rick Rick Danko, who's, I mean, when he had to sing, he would take center stage. Other than that, he seemed like rather yeah. reserved then, to the back. But You look at, like, Eric from uh, Sublime, with his freaking cigarette or... Cigar didn't fall out of his mouth. You think he was dead? I know. He's just like a sleepy corpse up there. All you can yeah. see is his, his fingers just running up and down the neck. Well, he's playing like great bass lines too. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Nothing too simplistic. You know, Getty, Getty Lee's another great uh, dynamic yeah. bassman out there. Yeah. Well, it helps that he's also the lead singer, but yeah. so you have to be a little bit more. Bruce Springsteen's guy. You forget he's there. I forget <laughs> his name. It's, he's been uh, with them Gary, for ages. Gary Talent. Gary, Gary Talent. Yeah. Yeah, and he's been his bass man for years. And, you know, Bon Jovi, they eventually took their bass player off all the marketing. Because he's such a bummer. <laughs> uh, he was more of a studio. Actually, he just recently died. Um, but he was more of a studio guy and, like, didn't do the hair metal thing that the rest of them did. So they were like, oh, okay. hey, hang out with us on tour. We'll stick you in the back somewhere. <laughs> be funny. They all got the hair metal stuff. He's sitting there in a suit. Like, come on, you square. <laughs> He just looks more like a dad. He's going yeah. bald. Wears golf shirts, you know. Yeah. Um. See, if if only we were talking about drummers, so then I can drop that slightly stupid line where they're talking about their drummer and he was a bummer and they had to get a drum machine on tour with them next summer. <laughs> but, um, right there, halfway through their show, they take their drum and guitar and they throw them at each other. That's true. <laughs> when they switch. So. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so she sold a bunch of her crap. I don't know what it what it was, but uh, she bought herself a bass that so she could practice at home, and she would sneak into the band room and practice on their double bass, and uh, took lessons on the double bass and joined uh, an assortment of jazz bands, but she craved something a little harder, so she answered that ad, and the three of them hit it off like the Gatsby's. Hang on a second. I got to hold the stupid mic and... Uh, what happened? Oh, yeah. My, my freaking handles all like uh, I, I left the clip i don't know where the hell the clip is so i can't clamp it to my desk so oh, i'm like geez. holding the mic and it's, my fingers are cramping um anyway the last piece of the puzzle was leah emmett or emont she was a competitive athlete with a strong work ethic uh, but also played guitar and piano but grew tired of that and her father had a drum kit in the basement, so she took to that because it was also something that was very athletic. Despite the fact that there's a lot of percentage of fat drummers, it's still a very athletic instrument. Oh, it's... it's I remember... Um, here I go back into a personal story. 
when I played the drums. It's part of our brand. Yeah. When I played the drums, I only got to do, as you know, one gig. I've only got one gig ever as a musician. And that was filling in for Kevin Andrews, drummer, uh, his band Dateless on Saturday. And uh, they even did a sublime cover for me to thank me for uh, filling in for them, which I, I appreciate it. You know, right. Um, we did Santa Rita, but that's beside the point. Uh, you should have been like, that's, that's some gift. <laughs> some gift. That's like opening a gift. It's like taking a present. Hey, Ted, we got you this big gift. Open the box. And then a fist comes through and punches you in the face. Now, while I think Bud is a phenomenal drummer, Santa Rita is one of the more simplistic songs. So I didn't right. actually, that was actually good for me because, you know, it, nothing too complicated. But I also didn't know that they did all originals, this band. I thought they were just going to do covers. And I go, oh, make me a mixtape of your stuff. Oh. So they handed me, like, their CD that they produced in, like, the, their practice space. And I was like, oh, shit. You guys are just doing originals. So I went to the practice with them and then put the pads on my kit because I had these pads that could go over the drums. So I got to play late. And I played all night. And um, it was like, well, you know how you go to the gym? when you're lifting weights it's been a while and just everything tenses up the next day you know that feeling that's how i felt it was (laughs) so painful it hurt so much and you know not used to working out or stuff or stuff like that it really hurt and uh still did the gig you know what i mean um i had fun and then they were like oh that was awful we did terrible and i was like (laughs) miserable they were nice they were like no ted it wasn't your fault that we 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 were terrible because of you were terrible because we 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 weren't they were just being critical of themselves right because i think it was one of their first gigs as well um but yeah just from practicing uh all night on the kit just to to get it down i i learned a valuable lesson you got to be in shape to play uh to play the sticks and skids right well one time i was over at chuck Waugh's house playing uh rock band and i know yeah. like the rock band doesn't give you an exact representation of playing the drums because like to, to do a kick like you really have to like pump it like you're pumping up an air mattress um yeah. but like i i played like one song and i played it pretty well all things considered uh but like by the end i could feel like the backside of my shirt i was like ah, I was so tired that was just fucking rock band i can only imagine what it'd be like if yeah. it was real real drums that's, that's why they don't wear shirts yeah drummers. or like at most yeah. they'll wear like a tank top or something but yeah exactly and like well, yeah you, you get look to see at... a drummer get out of the kit wearing a heavy sweater well that's i mean that's what makes the interrupters even more impressive the other twin they all start out in like full suits or like sometimes yeah. they wear like their god they're like polos or whatever but he's still he doesn't like uh the dude from the gaslight anthem he's always in gym shorts and a tank top and by the end he's even the tank top's gone uh but like the drummer plays it the full full pants and his polo he never changes not to get off track too much but you're talking about playing in a suit yeah um have you seen that video of Death from Above 1975 when they were on Conan? 1979, but yes, I have. 79, sorry. And yeah, where the the drummer, who's the lead singer, decides he's going to get up off the kit. And then Max yeah. swoops in and couldn't get his jacket off in time. <laughs> so he's, and it's he knows he's got to get that jacket off because he needs to play hard on this track. Right. And so he's got the jacket around one arm as he's trying to keep up with this fast rock song it's it's i I think the 
because I think it, he ran over there during like a breakdown, so I think it was like slow. So I yeah. think uh, the drummer was hitting like the other note that Max was taking off his uh, jacket, hitting the other one. But I think it was like yeah. a team effort. I but, think so. Uh, I like. Oh, why don't you just take the, the jacket off during the commercial break before this thing starts? I don't know, because that's the thing. We don't know if that was a spontaneous move or if they had planned that. That's the thing. Yeah, that was still one of the coolest musical guest moments I've ever seen. Oh yeah, Tony. yeah, that was really that was really cool. I was telling people at school about that the next day. That was neat. Yeah. Anyhow, um, but yeah, we got Leah Emmett, and she played hoops and uh, guitar and piano. But she's the drummer for Live on Release. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, she took to the drums, and she had a female drum teacher who was a positive influence on her, and she still played guitar. And also, much like yourself, took up the sax and sang in the choir. And my God, these girls really make us seem like losers that did nothing with our lives because they were all all over the place. Yeah, you've got this is one of the things where it's kind of like a shame it didn't last longer because you had four kids who were dedicated to what they do, you know, what instruments they were on. They were all in. And, um, yeah, it's just like we'll we'll get to this a little bit later, but I did get a yeah. little bit of a grasp on where some of them went, but I, I just I don't know. I, I wish Although, they last you know they always say how girls mature faster than boys. Yeah. Maybe this is one of those things because while like, you know, a guy's high school band, like, you know, they're just slap dicking around, maybe smoking a reefer, uh <laughs> just like, hey, check out this parents. What? I was like raiding, raiding your parents' pantry for snacks when you want to practice. <laughs> yeah. What happened to my band? Um, so, like, whereas, like, these girls were actually very serious. So maybe that came from early maturity. We don't know. I mean, that could be one one of many reasons why. But, I mean, they all seem like they come from either very hardworking families or just naturally instinctive in them. Like, I've said this over and over to, like, parents and stuff uh, of the kids that I coach. I'm like, I coach five girls and seven boys. All the girls are attentive. They're sweet. They're a couple of them, like really hard workers. Like I think the one girl is like the best player on the team, but she works at it every day. And then I, I look over at the seven boys. Some of them work very hard. Some of them are very well behaved. But a lot of them are just a bunch of hyenas in a cage. It's being a little jackasses. I love them, but the jackasses. I'm telling you. It is only a matter of time before the gender barrier is broken in the big four. And it's, I think it's going to be baseball first. Think so? I know we had Manon Riom in uh, hockey, but she, she was just spring training. She actually didn't get to play in a, in an NHL game, but um, Oh, it's going to be bad. Okay. So we, we recently had um, something called the friendship series up here in Thunder Bay where Canada's national team played the U S national team. And Canada's national team is good. We've beaten the U.S. a couple times. The U.S. shellacked us this weekend. What sport? Um, baseball. Okay. The U.S. shellacked us. Like, they are far better right now, the American uh, women's baseball team. And this is baseball, not softball. Right. They have a girl on their team. Uh, Olivia Pichardo is her name. And I looked her up because I remembered Hippolito Pichardo, who used to play for the Kansas City Royals. And I thought they were related. They're not. Um, but she throws 100. That's crazy consistently throws a hundred and it's, and I was watching another video today about this team, the Staten Island uh, fairy Hawks. 
Uh, they're an independent team, and one of their pitchers, pitchers is a girl. And, like, it's only a matter of time. There's going to be some female pitchers within the next 15 years. So, hold on. So, they actually do have female leagues for overhand? Yeah. It's good to know because I'm going to tell some of my girls' parents because, like, some of them are going to age out of Little League in a year or two. And oh, yeah. so, it'll be good to have somewhere to go. And they have competitive tournaments and stuff like that, too. Like, this friendship series that we had up here in Thunder Bay was competitive. Right. And, you know, they, they call it friendship series, but there's that, that U.S.-Canadian rivalry doesn't go away. Well, uh, I mean, originally yeah. the Summit series was supposed to be called the friendship sh- series, and that was a shit show. So. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't too friendly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah like, back, yeah. even, like, uh, so to your point, like, my one of my girls, Nora, like, she's great pitcher, great fielder, like almost hit a home run last week, just crushed one Jordan's, offense. Jordan's daughter. Jordan's daughter, yeah. And um, ah, see, shout out to Jordan. Yeah, but like <laughs> the, his wacky brother-in-law. The 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 difference between her and like one of the better male players is when she hits a good hit or strikes a kid out or does something great, she comes back to the bench and like you know gets my kudos and then she shuts up about it whereas like the one of the boys would be like hey look at me i'm the best you know he's like the the mattress king or not the yeah. um the, the seinfeld the uh the whiz, the whiz. yeah i'm the best that, i so, used to so you know how, I mean, like, yeah. that could come back to the parents maybe it's the kid who just humble by nature so but i'm not saying that's a boy or girl thing but i just that's just what i've noticed i feel like while I know high school politics, it's tough being a girl. I I know that. But I feel like when you're on a team, in a team environment, like a sports team or a band or something like that, yeah, they just support each other more than guys do. Because I remember um, I score-capped basketball games to get my volunteer hours in right. high school. In Ontario, we got to get 40 hours of volunteer right. uh, under our belt. So I'd score keep because Jake was my hookup and I got to score keep all the time. So I did boys teams and I did girls tournaments. Right. The girls would do cheers from the bench, cheering each other on when someone got a basket. They're always, you know, congratulating each other. You know what I mean? It was very, I had a respect for their opponents as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, the guys, no respect for their opponents. <laughs> Uh, I remember there was a team from, and Jake got really pissed off. So in this one tournament we were doing, there's a team from PEI that came. This is in Ancaster. They looked like children. You know what I mean? They they had really kind of crappy uniforms, <laughs> just yellow t-shirts, like wore whatever shorts they had. Right here comes the inner city Hamilton team. These are men. Right. Okay. <laughs> they were in matching jumpsuits, took jumpsuits off. They're playing. I remember they're playing Master P during their warm-ups. Make them say, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was this song called Bout It, they kept saying, wow. you know. Bentley's and Hummers, we bout it. Like that. <laughs> um they kept playing that. I was like, oh shit. So somehow they had to play this PEI team. And just looking at them. <laughs> It's like my son, Freddie, going up against Shaq right. right now. You know what I mean? That's what it looked like. And they got demolished. And there's a thing in basketball when you're playing at that level. If you're way up, um, when you inbound the ball, take the, the gas to, off. You're supposed to fall back is what yeah. it's called. Falling back, right? 
So you don't play anybody up front. You score your bucket, get down and play defense. Okay? Right. Oh, these guys didn't get down and play defense. Or they, they just, just start turning into alleyways. They, they knew they knew they could just steal the ball from them and keep scoring. Oh god. And the coach wasn't stopping it. And they have also like five coaches and the other team had one guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, like even like me. Uh like there's been a few times where my team has I have a very good team this year, and there were times where we could have very much ran up the score, but because I'm a good guy and a good sport, I'm like, no, no, you don't steal on this base. Don't steal home. Like even like a couple. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple of weeks ago. I kept trying to get the kids. I'm like, stop stealing home. Cause like their pitcher, like there's the fourth place team. Their pitcher was just throwing like lobs to the plate and they were dying. They weren't even making it to the plate. So every pitch was skipping past the catcher and my kids kept running home. Like, Hey, quit stealing home. Like it's yeah. one of the only times I've yelled at them in the game. I'm like, quit it. It's uh, hard but, to do because you also want to teach them to be competitive as well. I know. And that's the thing. And that's why I told them, I said, listen, come playoffs, especially if it's like this one fucking blue Jays team is real chapping my ass this summer. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, we're going to run the shit on them. If we can like my competitive spirit will get dialed up to 11, but in the regular season, you know, sometimes I experiment with my lineup. For example, actually, here's a good story I was going to say to your point about support. Uh, so last week, it was the last game of the regular season. It's all playoffs now. And so I'm like, I'm fucking around with the lineup. I put one of my girls in who hasn't pitched this year. I wanted to give her an inning just to try it, say she did it. And she did great. She struck out three people. Uh, they couldn't hit the off-speed stuff. And uh, all of my boys came over and like patted her on the head. They're like, great job. Like They were all supportive. It was great. So that's, that's good. Uh, it's good yeah so that's the yeah. thing i will say about my boys they're all like while they're a bunch of jackasses they're very supportive of everyone doesn't matter if they're a boy or girl so there you go <laughs> one more thing about that tournament yeah. jake was the scorekeeper for it <laughs> apparently he was like i'm gonna call this game right now and he like tried to like stop the game <laughs> And then they're like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't stop the game. We're the referees. We determine if the game stops. Yeah, there's no curfew. Yeah. Or sorry, there's no uh, mercy in basketball. <laughs> exactly. You felt bad for them, but I felt bad for them too. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well. I do remember. Oh, one more story. All right. I do remember. Listen, Ted, I told you, we don't have a lot of notes here. So we got to yeah. fill the time with stories and they, rambles. They, there's a one PEI dad who was... Uh, talking to me and Jake and seemed friendly enough, right? Yeah. So he got really mad at the refs for calling like a foul on his kid. And he was like, ah, come on, ref. That's a bunch of horse hockey. Ah, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> and this Jamaican guy who is like the dad of like a kid of the uh, Hamilton team goes in his thick Jamaican accent. And the next time he does it, he pokes the kid in the eye and he loses an eyeball. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And the guy had nothing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, did he poke him in the eye? Is that why he got like, the yeah, foul? Yeah, he, he went for his face. Oh. <laughs> Little kid. He had nothing to lose at that point, right? Sure. Well, that's the thing, especially when you're getting... This is one of the things yeah. that the they should teach in high school and college like if you are running up a score you know it's poor sportsmanship 
And, you know, the other team just out of frustration might just take a whack at you. And so like, you might risk injury just by running up the score. It's just like, Hey, if we're going to, if we're not going to win, we're going to take you out. Like, um, last summer, I'm not proud. One more saw a little league story and then we'll move on. Sure. So last summer, uh, we had really imbalanced teams and to the point, like post coming out of COVID, there was supposed to be another league called intermediate, which is like 13 years old, kind of heading into grade nine, but they didn't have enough players. And so they got kept down into major playing against like 10, 11 year olds, maybe some 12 year olds. Oh, so geez. there was a huge discrepancy with some of these kids, like a couple of them almost cracked like six feet. And so <laughs> I, it was one of the early games of the year. I put up one of my pitchers, this tiny little scrapper, Joey, great kid, uh, came in every day with a smile, worked hard, loved him. He just threw a beach ball to this kid, Lincoln, who's like nearly six foot. Like, I think his feet were bigger than mine, for fuck's sakes. Uh, and he crushed it down the left field line off the, the, the equipment shed. And he comes, he comes rounding first. He's like, does the Tiger Woods fist pump? He's like, yes, sir. And so I was like, you motherfucker. And this is early on in the season. So from the rest of the season, all of my pitchers, I told him, I'm like, throw at him. I don't give a fuck. I was so mad at that little shit. And uh, did they? A couple did. Uh, one what blocked did the them. That? The thing is, like, I had a weaker team that year, so no one really thought much of it because they're like, oh, he's probably just struggling with oh, his control. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's funny, we actually discovered, Jake kind of pointed something out. Yeah. Um, and because we had already been throwing at him a bit, he was used to kind of getting it inside. And Jake's like, you know, if they throw up and in under his hands, he can't hit it. So later on in the summer, because uh, Jake joined my coaching staff when his season ended, and we struck him out like six times moving towards the end of the season. So I was like, hey, I get so hyped. I'm like, yeah, take that. Like I was like two seconds away from calling him a little shit. <laughs> and I was so calm all year. Just this little kid was such a prick. You run into him since? No. Okay. Right. But because uh, he's moved up, I don't even know if he plays baseball. I might have played on the high school team. Who knows? But uh, I hope he's doing terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do remember one time a guy quick pitched me. I didn't have many, many highlights in my career. But I do remember he quick pitched me. And like when I wasn't ready. Right. And the umpire was like, nope, you're in the box. Strike. And he like started laughing at me. <laughs> and then the next pitch he threw, and I didn't get many hits. And I hit it, hit him right off his knee. <laughs> was yeah. he going full uh, Nancy Kerrigan? Like, why? No, I do remember he was like one of the kids like who was on like a rep team and wanted to show off, so he wore different pants than everybody else. Ugh, what a plug. So I'm like, yeah, he deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> he wore like, like professional pants and a belt and stuff like that when everyone else is just wearing the crabby gray ones that you get. Yeah. No. Like I actually yelled at one of my kids the other a couple of weeks back because I was he's like should I wear my all star pants I'm like no it's house league wear your house league pants like yeah we're we're you're a team this is our uniform yeah you know? don't show off it's like, like Manoa's gonna go out there and pitch in his all star game pants you know? <laughs> yeah like, look stupid you know yeah yeah anyway um, back to live on release <laughs> yeah yeah uh, oh yeah so still on Leah Amen. <laughs> um. So she, so being an athlete, she believed in the mantra of preparation meets opportunity. 
And as story goes, she met Fox at a school talent show. And um, so there's the opportunity because she was already in this, what came to be live on release. Uh, but because of their rigorous practicing, they were both very prepared and they were both did really well at this talent show, but they were both playing acoustic guitars and they both hated playing acoustic guitars. They're like, let's suck. This sucks. Let's go electric. <laughs> and they bonded. And so she brought them into live on release to play drums. And Britain's older sister, Riley, who was in university at the time, uh, became uh, was a tour manager for Biff Naked in her spare time. Talk about nepotism. In your spare time. Yeah, like summers and reading weeks and stuff. Like, hey, what are you doing? I got to go back to the bookstore. I got to go back to the movie theater. I got to go to a factory. I'm working with Biff Naked out here. Get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Uh, I was schlepping pizzas at Geno's. Yeah. She's traveling across the country with one of the, one of the biggest acts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a I had a joke all lined up, but I knew it was going to start a fight, so I just left it out. Oh, um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh yeah. Um, so Riley convinced Biff to come out to a gig in New Westminster on this hot day. Eleven other bands played ahead of live on release, but Biff stood there through these slogging performances, and even <laughs> in spite of a crappy PA system. They played tight, uh, tight six-song set uh, that was good enough to impress Biff, who signed them to her label that she co-owned with, not the Gumsmack and Pete Carroll, but the other one, uh, her Her Majesty's, her Royal Majesty's Records, and Riley was acting as their manager. Okay. Next page. Page two of two. We don't have a lot of notes. Um, I got some additional notes. Though. I know. Uh, their debut album. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you play the clip from Community where they're playing D and D and Troy's like, I'll get it with my additional notes. <laughs> I attack them using my additional notes. It has no effect. Play that there. I'll see. <laughs> um... So the debut album, Seeing Red, was uh, co-produced by the band and Biff Naked, released October 1st, 2002, and received notoriety thanks to the film, Dude, Where's My Car? Uh, I'm Afraid of Britney Spears was either played in the movie or on the soundtrack, or both, I can't remember. Um, I only just But like I said before, it's a song about not how not only people should not chase perfection, but look past the imperfections to see the person within. Uh, I couldn't find any charting records, but it did very well on much music, like probably on like multiple times a day. And like I was, I said this before, because did you go back since we tried to record the first one and watch the music video yet? 
No, you know what? I watched, I did watch some music videos today, though. For one song, I didn't know they had a video for. And then for another one from their second album. You still didn't watch someone. I didn't watch them afraid of Britney. Dumb, dumb. I remember when when it came out. I I watched it back then. I watched it a million times. Yeah, but when I told you about this, you didn't remember it. I remembered them playing in a room. They were in someone's bedroom. And then you told me about it and it refreshed my memory. All right. Well, I'll refresh everyone else's memory if you don't remember this. Uh, So they're playing in a bedroom. It's this dude's bedroom who had live on release posters um, spackled across his wall. They're playing in there. And what he does, he gets dressed up like Britney Spears in the Hit Me Baby One More Time video. And he's kind of like looking at himself in the mirror and his buddies come in. And at first they were repulsed by him in uh, women's clothing. But then they're just kind of like, there's something to this because he's just sitting there selling it he's like hey come on guys this looks fresh and then so they're all wearing it (laughs) and then they crash through this wall which is now all of a sudden in the middle so he goes from his bedroom into the middle of a high school auditorium so they put they put on a little uh britney spears as dance number and the classmates are loving it so when you really think about it for because a couple like a year ago uh we talked about the woodstock 99 documentary and you know, how machismo and testosterone was rampant at that era. You know, there was the attitude era of wrestling. Hip-hop rock was very aggressive and testosterone-driven. And then to have these guys kind of do a bit of a role reversal was very kind of different for the time. So it was kind of cool. It is. And, you know, I've said this before. And I I, I never want to call someone a hypocrite because I think deep down inside, we're all hypocrites in one way or another. Anyone that says they're not a hypocrite is full of shit in some fashion. But in the punk rock genre, I always like I I do remember when the distillers came out, they got some like widespread love. But I remember getting these like punk compilations and the songs that would often stick out were the bands that had female lead singers uh, like Tsunami Bomb or tilt don't right. know if you remember them yep. you know what i mean you get one or two bands of these female lead singers you're like shit this is really good largely because it doesn't sound like the same fucking song i've been listening to for 14 tracks now you know well, what one I mean? of my you shake it up a little bit it's and, punk but it's scob not punk but one of my favorite bands is the dance hall crashers and that's yeah. two female voices that's another and, good example and like they're literally like the punk slash Scott answer to the B fifty twos. I never even thought of it that way. Just the way they sing, and um, yeah. but yeah, like they stood out like a sore thumb because they were doing something very different. Also, they didn't rely on horns as much, so it was a different and style they had two anyway. Singers, yeah, two singers. That was that was new. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, but yeah, you were saying. What I was I was just saying like I remember, like I'm I'm trying I was trying to figure out why those bands specifically Tsunami Bomb. And tilt, and of course, like later, there's the creep show and horror pops. Uh, Psycho Billy tends to uh, really right. like nurture like a good female lead singer. Um, but why those bands didn't catch out on with like our group of guys? And there was some kind of like, like either they couldn't relate to a female singer or. It, it went against their manliness to listen to a female singer. It was weird. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm talking about like people in our group and stuff like that, but right. Well, you know, I mean, there, there was a bit of a, it took you down a little bit with the machismo. If you're like, Oh, you know, like this band is awesome. Oh, they got a girl lead singer. I'm like, yeah, she's awesome. 
I mean, yeah. it wasn't always, you know, sexism or anything like that. Not Sometimes you. you've always been good on you. You've never had real sexism in your music tastes. No, I'm not, I'm not calling you. Out. No, I know. But I'm just saying like some people, especially in punk, um, you know, we've made this joke before. I think we made it during the not by choice episode, yeah. like especially our friends, you know, they were just closed minded punk fans. They're like, it had to fit. It had to basically be the Luke Skywalker shot down yeah. the friggin, um, the hell is that thing called the in the in, garbage shoot no in the new hope where he does that shot at the end to blow up the oh, death star right. yeah uh okay. basically it has to fit in like a little box about that big um and if it doesn't they're like i'm not interested like it has to be like you know these types of punk bands or this style and yeah. if it's not if it didn't fit into this little package fuck it and which and, is and ironic granted, we because were, we were idiot kids but do you remember kevin and nate yeah. wouldn't list any bands that didn't have three people in it <laughs> i remember I, I i think it was my harvey danger cd i had my harvey danger cd and nate's like hey ted what's that i'm like it's harvey danger he's like what are they like i'm like you wouldn't like them there's four members he's like no you gotta have three <laughs> <laughs> that's so stupid because kevin was full of shit because he loved smashing pumpkins which had four he loved no, no effects no he loved, i was about four. to say he had like five yeah. or six no effects uh albums so i mean sometimes they just say stuff to like hear themselves talk there's a way that people dress okay do do you remember this this is a punk rock thing yeah you went off one day about nate uh sorry not nate it was uh, kevin kevin we had too many people with k names kevin (laughs) going off to you about how much he loved mxpx because the way they dressed and they wore golf shirts and that was cool but bowling shirts that you and me wore were lame (laughs) and they would, they would, if their pants are too long, they'd, you know, cuff them at the bottom. Right. You tell me this. I'm thinking to myself, huh, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea that could be quite fashionable. So I started cuffing my pants. You did not tell him this. And he sees me one day. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean? Pants. What's this? Like, cuff my pants. So what are you trying to do? <laughs> so I cuffed him. He's like, I don't think I like this. <laughs> and I did. I look terrible with my cuff pants because my pants were always really long because I was a short, fat guy with stubby legs. So all my pants need having. So they were like giant cuffs like that. Well, I you can't see it. They go up maybe half my uh, half my uh, ankle. <laughs> if it, if it rained, it would retain so much water you could have filled a glass. <laughs> and they never last. At the end of the day, my pants would be I'd be stepping on my pants. They they wouldn't last those cuffs. Well the other problem with your pants and like a lot of our jeans in general is uh because we were in the early aughts, that was the era of baggy clothes, right? So you yeah. like like whereas MXPX always wore like more skinnier jeans. Um yeah. But also, they were all thin guys, so it's easier for them to get thin, skinny jeans than it would have been for us. Yeah, we never saw what Yuri's pants looked like because he was that's true. Kid, I think he always because he was a bit of a husky guy too. I think he always wore gym shorts too. Yeah, I think he wore shorts. Yeah. But um, all right, like if I tried to wear skinny jeans, it literally would have been the last scene of Super Bad where Jonah Hill's like, "Yeah, help me lose weight." And he's like, "But I, I like how the skinny jeans it really like makes my dick and balls pop because it looks like a division sign." And Michael yeah, Sarah's like, Michael Sarah says. "He's like, yeah. I don't like that. That never wear that again. Just stop." <laughs> oh God, yeah, I gotta oh, find skinny pants now. 
because that's that's what's fashionable. It looks, yeah, what looks like a Brit bought me a bunch of fashionable uh, pants, and I'm like, where am I supposed to put my wallet? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, they don't fit in here. The pants fit, but all of them fit. And she's like, figure it out. She's like, we don't have to deal with it all the time. You can deal with it for one day. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I put my wallet in like my backpack that I took to work. And I'm like, oh, I got to remember wallets in there now. It's be nice my pants. But no, well, it's not fashionable. You are a, uh, to quote Joel Plaskett, you're, we're some fashionable people. <laughs> um, you be a good episode, by the way. Anyhow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll get to get into the album. Yes, because I'm, uh, go, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna call a timeout. I'm gonna run to the washroom. I'm gonna make myself another drink, and uh, I'll be right out. Cool. All right. Yep. All right. Uh, anyway, oh, fuck. Back, all right. Uh, to, so uh, back to live and release. Yeah. So the album was released October first, two thousand two. Uh, it's called Sea and Red. I got a chance to listen to it. I know you have done it a few times. Oh yes. Um, so. I agree with you from your initial assessment from the first episode that, uh, you know, it, it clocks in at a quick 11 songs, 39 minutes. Mm. Um, so they don't really leave a lot of room for Chuffa. And I'll say this, like the, they really start strong with the song. Don't leave me alone. Don't leave me uh, alone. Very, very much so. Yep. Yeah. And you know, for, for 15 to roughly 16 Maybe one or two of them might have been older. I don't know. I don't know their actual exact ages. But regardless, for f- making this album in high school, there's not a lot of juvenile songs. Com- like, there's I'm Afraid of Britney Spears, which yeah. is very juvenile. But, like, you can actually sense a lot of mature maturity in the songwriting, which probably is the Biff influence, I gotta think. Unless yeah. maybe, maybe... Brit and Carol, like her life on the road with her dad and sister and stuff. Maybe it's like kind of made her a little worldly. You know what I mean? So maybe she actually just wrote from those experiences. One of the reasons why I think I liked this album so much, because I really liked this album. Yeah, it was, was good. Exactly, exactly what you said. Even though when they're coming across as 15 year olds, you know, and I'm listening to it as a 37 year old. Um, it takes me back to my, cause I know they're my age now. Yeah. Right? Cause they were born in 1985, just like I was. Yeah. Um, and even though like I, I, I'm not in high school, I, I am a guy who has a whole podcast where him and his best friend, it just wax poetic about high school. And they should be talking <laughs> about music. Um, even though we weren't like starlets in high school in terms of popularity, um, their experiences are kind of, I'm not going to say they're similar to ours. We were never at a party. And got really mad at her boyfriends and then skateboarded home instead of getting a ride with them. <laughs> but, uh, like, they, they, I found it, I did find it relatable. Yeah. In, in, in some odd fashion, I did. And um, they never really, like, punch above their belt. You know what I mean? Like, you will you will get kids who, who will write, like, these deep love songs where they've never known love. Like, their love songs on here are, they're mostly breakup songs. Right. And it's nothing too deep that, you know, you'd think they'd be lying about, you right. know, that I, that's something I really, 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 really liked about this, uh, this album. Let's well, like, um, so a friend of mine, Jamie, he's yeah. a songwriter in this band in Toronto, uh, called hesitate. And I saw them play once. Very good. Jamie's Jamie's a good singer. And, but he's always Camp said, friend? he's like, pardon. Can't run. 
Uh, no, he's actually Dan's cousin. Very different oh, okay. from Dan. So he's <laughs> he's completely different from Dan. Some certain things, but uh, they're similar on. But very like his personality is just more of like a hey man, just let it be. Uh, whereas like Dan's like ah, you know, so uh, yeah, very okay. different. So yeah, these you could actually hang out with Jamie and like okay. and actually enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, Jamie and I have talked about songwriting before, and he's just like, he always feels, because he listens to some of these great singers, and he's just like, I feel like I could never write that. And I said, man, you just got to write about what's true to you. And he's like, you're right. And he's like, because the thing is, as long as it's, you know, not, I love you, you love me, <laughs> something like, like, it's not rudimentary, like, and not by choice, not to keep shitting on them, but. I um, shit on them a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> They did it to themselves. But um but what I'm saying, like the thing is Yeah, not everyone's a bloody poet. But the thing is if it if it's your truth, there's nothing wrong with like what comes out, right? So yeah. and it's like because it, people can pick up on honesty. It doesn't have to be the most layered songs. Like there's a reason why I don't want you to give me any shit because I haven't brought them up in a long time, but there's a reason why people love the replacements. Paul Westerberg songs were very hard on your sleeve, like a Bruce Springsteen, like a, um, give me somebody. Um, oh, Joe Strummer. Sure. Yeah. Like his are very, just like slap you in the mouth, right? Like they're, they come yeah. from honesty and those are the best ones. And I'm not going to put live on release on those echelons, but for them, this is on it. This is their life. This is their truth. So there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. No, it's not. And one of the things I really, really liked about this album. Now, I did make a note towards the end. There was one or two songs that where it did start to blend in a little bit. Sure. One of the biggest issues you have with punk, and this is as someone who listened to a lot of punk. Yeah. um, Is that when you get a punk album, even like my favorite punk albums, there's a couple towards the end. It doesn't You name the disc. Yeah. And where I'm like, what's that song? I, I don't remember how that one goes. You know what I mean? Right. It's an easy trap to fall into. And they do a very good job on this, at least for the first. Oh, God, I'd say about the first eight songs. Okay, so the first song that I had issues with was Fake. And I still liked Fake, but that's track nine. And that was just because I still thought it was a good song. It, that was the one, the, the song nine of 11 was where it started to blend in a little bit for me. Right. And then they kind of. You know, Colette's vocals, too, I got to commend immensely. It carries it above the generic stuff that you were hearing of that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I remember people used to shit on Sum 41 a lot because, you know, they're part of the pop punk machine. And But then they put out a song like Fat Lip. And you got Steve-O drumming and rapping at the same time. And say what you will about it. It stood out. Well, not only that, like the song sounds the same, that thing stood out. Well, not only that, it had a couple like, you know, it had a bit of a speed up, slow down, a little breakdown here. So it's just a very like, so if there was like, if this was the, a fault line or like a, you know, lie detector test, like there's the blip, you know, where it's like something different happened. Like that's the, the fat lip. And it's the same thing. So don't leave me alone. Thought it was a good kickoff. Then we had the song Hardcore, and um, that's a perfect example about not punching above your belt. Because they're just yeah. talking about how, 
you know, they like their punk, but they like a lot of other music. They're not going to be hardcore chicks. You know what I mean? They're just, right. they're happy where they are and they don't need to go any sort of extra mile or be defined by anything like that, yeah. which I thought was really hey, cool. Matt Walker, you should have taken note. Easy. Would you let it go? <laughs> let it go. No, I'm just a saying. hockey issue. You played hockey with him. No. He helped you in the face once and you're like, oh, fuck this guy. No, there's more than that. But, uh, no, he always tried to dress like some sort of scene star. Like he dyed his hair in high school. He dyed it black. Like just a real dork. Were we at the bowling alley every night? <laughs> All right. We were wearing bowling shirts and Hawaiian shirts day in, day out. Okay. Those are cool. <laughs> They're cool for I know, but you can call us posers. Ted, when's the last time you were bowling? Although oh, fuck you, I'm gonna go bowling tonight. To be fair, once I did go bowling that night. To be fair, the worst thing you can be called in high school. Um, To be fair, in in our defense, you know, ladies, there's a reason why the lineup was not long to to date Teddy and Brian. (laughs) uh, Like we we were in a bowling league in high school. We were. So there you go. We weren't posers. But for me. I don't know about you, but being called a poser, that was it. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It didn't matter where what your social standing was. Didn't matter this, didn't matter that. Just don't be a poser. Yeah. Like that was the biggest thing. So like I, I remember like what's it called I remember when I first got into wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. In pro wrestling. You're welcome. When Brandon Ram is your brother. Yeah, well, different <laughs> people credit themselves for that. I actually, you kind of started it. I knew who the players were. It was SummerSlam 99 at Park Hill's house that got me in. Oh, okay. So we give Park Hill that, but also Brandon putting the pressure on me too. Right. Because he liked it. But him going off, when I started getting into wrestling, I exclusively watched WWE. Didn't touch WCW. Didn't touch right. ECW. So suddenly, I don't know wrestling. Because you know, WWE sucks, you gotta watch right. WCW. This is also when WCW had David Arquette as the world champion and were <laughs> comedically bad. Yeah, but Brandon just did that to take me down a peg. So then, guess who starts researching WCW? Like, just looking it up and reading about it, which you can do with the World Wide Web, right? Brandon, not like that. <laughs> and- and I went from being, you got a lot of time on your hands, you're a nerd. <laughs> Whenever I would get one of his questions or you know, pass one of his little tests about my wrestling fandom. Couldn't call me a poser, though, because I was watching the shit. Oh, Couldn't well, call me do you remember, We've I think we've talked about this before, but do you remember uh, in, I think we would have been in grade 11. Maybe so, it, was, it was an uncool thing to be a poser for, but still, couldn't call me a poser. Sure. But, like, do you remember, was it in grade 11 or 12 when they, they did the Cooperstown collections? And, like, I bought a couple of those yeah. hats. Like, we both got the Expos hat, yeah, and I got that yeah, sweet yeah. Brewers one. And then yeah. I showed up to at lunch that day, and they're like, hey, name four players. Name five players. I'm like, fuck off. I just like the hat. <laughs> but that was that was it. You know, whatever it was, whatever band you listened to, didn't matter how bad the band was. The thing yeah, is, if you bought if you bought Jimmy Ray's album, <laughs> be prepared to justify it to ten people you barely know. Yeah, 
Like that's that's what where it was at. And I remember I really liked the song Are You Jimmy Ray? <laughs> but I wouldn't touch it until he released another single. And I never saw another single. So that's one of the reasons I never had that album. You know what's funny? In hindsight, I probably could have fooled Campbell and Pat because they weren't big baseball guys back then. I probably yeah. couldn't have fooled Brandon, and I definitely couldn't have fooled you, but you weren't the one up my ass. But uh, like they're like, name five players. I would have been like, well, there's uh, Charlie Greasy Fingers Jones and uh, Bill McGillicuddy Sanchez. Uh, from He came and, in in 1980. They were like, I can't prove I, it. I could have backed you up on it. They didn't know their history. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, you went right for Pat Listash. <laughs> he did win Rookie of the Year in 92, Pat Listash. And then did nothing, but still. Yeah. All right. Hardcore. Like that song. Uh, you know, and the tra- that is a big thing being called the poser. Hardcore. Uh, Johnny Johnny. I thought the little screams of Johnny were a little annoying, but yeah. got through it. Still thought it was good. Then we had the song Emotional Grip Tape, which was one of their singles. Um, and nostalgia hit me there. I totally forgot about that song. It's a little weird trying to really do a skater song and putting grip tape in there. Like, hey, we're skaters. You got to know we're skaters. You know what I mean? And they talk about skating quite a bit. So clearly skateboarding was something they enjoyed. Right. Um, uh, one thing I did remember was their use of the, the word shenanigans. Yeah. I heard that. Great. Um, and I remember Rick Campanelli interviewing um, the girls and he was like, hey, you use shenanigans. No one said shenanigans in the songs. And he whips out some fucking song from the 70s I never even heard of where they use the term shenanigans. Oh, um, shenanigans. Oh, shenanigans. <laughs> uh, but still, it's a good little tune. Right. Uh, the we, next we had Slow Down. I got a big Joan Jet vibe from that. They had the big drumming in there. And uh, one of the lines in that song is something I think you could put in next to your Hang In There Kitty poster. I'm still with you. I'm 15 and I'm going on 22. I just forgot to slow down now. Life is much longer than one day. Brian, life is much longer than one day. There's my advice to you today. What the hell does that even mean? Yeah, obviously it's more than one day. The only the only person that works for us if someone kills a baby. <laughs> Jesus. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm just saying, obviously, yes, life is longer is more than one day. Okay. It's just like such a it's it's one of those it's like you know, you were talking about not punching above their weight. It almost sounds like they're trying to be deep, but it's like, what does that mean? Obviously, it's such a Think, think back to high school. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. You have a bad day. Isn't it the end of the world? Yeah, I guess that's true. There you go. All right. That's something a lot of kids could learn from, and I really like that. Then we had I'm Afraid of Britney Spears. And um, while this was a song that made them celebrities, um, it's really, really basic. I'm afraid of Britney Spears. 
I was listening to it today and like, I, I learned very basic drumming from like Brent and you and just fiddling around on both your drums. Like, honestly, I think I have enough rhythm in my feet and hands to, I could have played that. Like we could have covered that with barely even trying or even I I could have picked it up on the guitar and you could have drummed it or Brent could have drummed it. But there's been interviews and I don't ask me to remember, but these are with established names where they knew they had a hit on the record and they didn't want to put it out because they didn't want to be the show that to be the showcase for the band. Right. Okay. Clearly for the time this was released, we talked about it, a a song against the pop machine from a female perspective, a teenage female, female perspective was a huge thing. Yeah. It's probably the most rudimentary song on here. Yeah, the lyrics are probably the most. They're not very good, even the lyrics. I'm not gonna lie; it's probably the worst song of the album. <laughs> well, um, I I I don't blame them for putting it out as their first single. Yeah, but I think I would have fought because, and I've got my pick for what should have been the kickoff single, and it turns off it was a single, but I just didn't realize it was a single. Um, that I thought should have been the one to put them on the map. What but was it? it wasn't up to Britney Spears. Hold on. Do you want me to tell you now or do you want me to get to it? Yeah, yeah, get to it. All right, I'll get to it. But it did work and it was the whole it did oh, look. You know the expression manic 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 pixie dream girl? Yes. I think there were a lot of teenage boys my age, your age, like, why can't why don't we have chicks like live on release at our school? You know, these <laughs> chicks and all the why don't we have them? We did have them, but they were all smoking in the parking lot. <laughs> That's true. And they didn't talk to us. They were straight edge, live and release. That's true. But I'm saying the yeah. girls in our high school. Oh, yes. No. Although, do you know what's sad? I bet if we wanted to get dates, if we hung out with those girls, they probably would have talked to us. Oh, and then if, like, if, I was friends with a couple of them, but. I, that's the thing at the end of the day. You know, you don't. Uh, <sighs> Do you know that song by Rod Stewart? Not by Rod Stewart. Well, Rod Stewart's the lead singer. Um, the Faces. Ooh la la. You know that song? Yeah. I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. That's good advice, too. <laughs> you got to get old to learn some things. Well, that's like, uh, I've mentioned this guy before multiple times, but one of my favorite podcasts is The Honeydew with Ryan Sickler. Because the, the, a lot of the stuff is about shit that they overcame, but he has a segment at the very end where he's like, you know, if you can go back and tell your 16-year-old self some advice, what would you say to them? Because, you know, a lot of their shit, like the people who he has on, a lot of the shit starts in childhood, teenage years, and filters into their 20s. And, you know, I'd be like, oh, if I was ever on the honeydew, I'm like, what the hell would I say to myself? I would have been like, you know, ask out that girl, get your ass into the gym eat an apple stop stop eating all the cookies well i i think this is also where this album and practice your damn guitar (laughs) but i think this is also where this album becomes so endearing right is because at least from appearances in their lyrics and in their interviews these girls for 15 years old seem to have their shit together yeah and i don't know what their personal lives are like but at least on record and stuff like that, you well, look like, back then. You're like, I wish my head was so squarely on my shoulders. Like there's, like there's appear to be. Well, it's like uh, it's like I was saying before. Like you know, one was an athlete, 
The other two yeah. discovered early on what their talent was and what they were passionate about, and they literally just went after it. And whereas some people kind of spend years kind of two. You can say that about for all four of them, by the way. Oh, I know. Because all four of them were very musically inclined from a young age. Right. I mean, the I, I'm only not counting Britain into this because she's basically thrust into it thanks to her family. Whereas, like the other three, actually had to like dig out some like their own skills sure. and. Sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, but still, she still went after it. Not not to take anything away because she could have easily, you know, turned like the experiences at Edge Fest doing roadie stuff. Like this sucks. I don't want to be in the music industry. You could have turned her off, you know. Or like, no, I want to totally. be, but I want to be behind the scenes. I want to produce or, or work in like talent management or something. But anyway, uh, yeah, like they, they went after it. Like, you know, you, like you really think about it, like some of the biggest people in the world, like look at Dave Chappelle, whether you love him or hate him, you know, he started performing stand up at like 16 years old. Uh, and then he became one of the biggest comics on the planet. Like Pete Davidson, same deal. Like he started doing his first open mics in, in the city. At like Eddie Murphy joined us at 19. Yeah. And like Pete Davidson joined it at like 22. And yeah. So, oh, it's, that, yeah. yeah, these people just like went after it. And, you know, their early sacrifices paid dividends. So, but yeah. So, yeah. I mean, th- but yeah, that whole work ethic is probably tied into their maturity. So, because they, instead of like being a bunch of shitheads like we were, they were actually focused on goals and achieving. Them. Yeah. So there you go. all right, so so after I'm afraid of Britney Spears, we had all night long. That one clocks in at a very lengthy, almost seven minutes. So this was the only era uh, area on the whole album that I thought there was a little bit of chuff. They could have cut this one in half; it would have would have been fine. They do do a very cool thing in the opening where it's just Colette singing with Fox playing the bass, and she sings a line, and then the bass goes doo doo. Like it's responding to her. And I just, for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like that. You know what I mean? It stuck out for me. Um, so here's the one I thought should have been the single. Uh, was Get With It. And they did release a video for Get With It, which just didn't get much airplay on much music. It's a very catchy, upbeat, pop punk song. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I, I wrote, like, this might be the best song of the album. Like, this should be the summary of what live on release is. It shouldn't be the novelty where they just name drop a bunch of boy and girl bands. You know what I mean? Like, this should be the one. Release the freaking novelty as single number three when people have an idea of what you're capable of. Yeah. But that That's the, yeah, that's I get, always... I get label pressures and you're 15. You know, I, I understand that. Well, there's that. And also the, um, you know, there's the bait and switch approach that some people that roped in a lot of people in, with certain albums, right? Like you, you hear one song and it's so good and you expect the whole album to be like that. Right. Like, I mean, you could almost put in like a, a goofy smash mouth like that, like with uh, walking on the sun and people, I'm sure a lot of people were disappointed that the rest of the album didn't sound like walking on the sun. You and I freaking loved it. Cause it was, it was so good. <laughs> is a great album. I'll defend yeah. that to the death. Yeah. Um, or I'm sure there's much more mainstream examples that I'm just like, not cause I'm freaking tired, but uh, that I'm not yeah. clocking right I'll now, t- but 
I'll tell you this: that was just one episode. I'll get off track a little bit. I listened to this uh, podcast. Why not? We've gotten off track like eight hundred yeah. times today. So what's one more time? I love this one podcast called In Defense of Ska, right? Where they just get people on, they talk about ska. Right. But one of the things I didn't realize about ska, because you and me were like the only people we knew would listen to ska. We loved everything. It was all <laughs> yeah. ska. I didn't realize that people like in other areas where there was a lot more ska fans had opinions, <laughs> and there's ska fans they didn't like. So there's one episode they had this guy on. I remember getting really mad because this guy did a he he does some kind of web comic. He's a huge ska fan. Okay. And uh, his big joke of the comic was, "Oh, I've got this one guy who thinks he's like an indie hipster and stuff like that." And uh, but he really likes basic music like Three Eleven and Dave Matthews Band. And I like threw something down and went, "Motherfucker, there's nothing basic about Three Eleven or Dave Matthews Band. Fucking Strokes are basic, White Stripes are basic. There's nothing basic about these guys." I got really mad. Yeah, like friggin' what's his uh, name? Peanut. Who's the yeah, drummer? He, that's the, the joke. Peanut, Peanut's bass player. Yeah, sorry. Who's the Chad drummer? Sexton's drummer? Yeah, Chad he's Sexton. the guy's like Jazz Train. Like fuck that guy. I want to punch well, this and, guy in the mouth. And, and, and the guy did end up being a huge 311 fan. Of but course. in his thing, he's got, uh, what's it called? Um, his main character has a dream where he has, this, this hipster character has a dream where he has sex with Peanut. So anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, they were talking about, uh, they, they asked him, any other ska references? He's like, eh, you know, he's like, I, I do go for low-hanging fruit. He's like, I do mention Smash Mouth a bunch, a bunch of times. Like, <laughs> well, you talk to us about Smash Mouth. And he goes, Fushu Mang was a great record. And then the host is like, <sighs> Fushu Mang was a great record. <laughs> Although I will say this, both you and I, you know, we didn't just love everything because we both took a huge steamer on Astro Lounge to follow we up with Astro Lounge. Yeah, because we were waiting for that one to come out. And because uh, we were so it hyped disappointed. On, on Fushu Lounge, on Fushu Mang. Yeah, we yeah. were mad. But anyway, back so, to uh, back you know, to back to live. On. Oh, yeah, Before, ahead, ahead. just a quick question: Is this is this in defense of Ska podcast still on? Are they still oh, making yeah. episodes? Oh, okay, if this stuff, if this yeah. show ever blows up to the point where like, we actually people would care what we had to say, we got to get on that show as guests. I know, I know. We should start I DMing know. them now. Be like, our podcast is really insignificant, but we just love Ska and we can talk about it for hours. Do you want to do it? I mean, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Because it's the thing, like, they go off on, like, they think that Skank and Pickle is the greatest ska band who ever lived. And I'm like, when you live in Ancaster, Ontario, you know how deep you have to get? You have to find underground record stores yeah. where you have to freaking knife fight someone to get in <laughs> to even hear a Skank and Pickle song. Okay? Yeah. All right? It wasn't that easy for us. Right. You know? I kind of want to be like... Being just the mainstream ska exposure was still a good experience. Yeah, like, well, like, if if we ever did get on, I'm sure they've probably talked about it, but we'd we'd basically, you know, talk about the Canadian element of ska and just how how you know high planet smashers and the Johnstones because really they, all we they, had. And they love the planet smashers. Oh, do they? Oh, good. They do. They do. They've even mentioned Bedwin before. Oh, good. So, yeah, they had this one comedian, I forget her name, but she talked about this, like, uh, playlist she made for a friend who didn't like ska, and she put, like, three bad one sounds on, uh, <laughs> on there. You know, that's one thing that still pisses me off. I ranted about it once on my radio show in Windsor. I was doing a covers episode, and I played Bedwin's cover of Waiting for My Ruka. Yeah. 
and because i was looking i could only get the youtube audio because i couldn't find it on an actual album at yeah, the time that's not it's not on there um and so i was looking at the comments when i ripped it and one dickhead's like oh what a terrible cover and i'm like motherfucker that waiting for my ruka while it's a great song is literally just like a little every once in a while is a bang on a timbali and a bass drum yeah or a bass note it's like boom boom that's all it is and, and like, that's one of the reasons that's one of the things that makes it so great is how simple it is yeah but it's like jay yeah. and uh eon that's his name right eon sinclair, sinclair. yeah sinclair. yeah um they added some actual life to that in that song and it's like god i hate people just just enjoy the well, fucking song I, I i remember when um lana del rey put out her cover of doing time oh that was and, great uh and I hate Lana Del Rey. I know you. I know. I, for, I forget what. It might have even been like the official Sublime Instagram account posted the video. And they're like, I don't want to hear shit about people complaining about this song before they listen to it. This song is fucking choice. And Lana Del Rey is a legit Sublime fan. So shut the fuck up. Like, it was a big rant. Like, when they oh, posted yeah. the video. Like, I, yeah, like, just I think- preemptive. I was just driving down the street one day and that song came on. I think I like immediately just like pulled out my phone while driving Ted. There's this great cover yeah. of doing time. And you're and like, Oh, I, it's great. I'm the same way. Like I, I Lana Del Rey's just not my thing. No, I, I'm not going to shit on her. She had a weird SNL performance, which I thought was funny, but I'm not going to, sh- I'm not here to shit on her. It, no, it, you it's, know, it's she, just not her, my thing. I, we have discussed this at length. You and me are not laid back. <laughs> and some of that music that's extremely laid back just does i have too i have too much energy for it yeah like we're we're guys who's like hey let's pound beers and dance in a mosh pit she's like hey let's do yeah. uh yeah. let's do sedatives in a bathtub that's like her energy <laughs> exactly. let's, let's do quaaludes in a bathtub <laughs> up pretty well i like it's like billy eilish be basically half comatose yeah. and then start your uh singing i session. will say this i defended I have a couple of friends who are very Bond, like like Bond loyalists, and I loved her cover, or not her cover, the song that her and her brother did for uh, the last Bond film. I really yeah. liked it. They, they were, some me, of them were like, eh, but I really liked it. People are saying, oh, she's amazing. She's great. She's great. And then Bad Guy, I'm like, I don't get the appeal. Then I heard the Interrupters cover, and I'm like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. I get the appeal. Yeah. <laughs> I just needed that energy band to come be like, ah! Yeah. Leave it to a ska band to give oh, the song yeah, some good. legitimacy. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you need that kick in the pants for someone else. Yeah. All right. So get with it. Like I said, I think get with it should have been the lead single from this album. And then you can do emotional grip tape. And then I'm afraid of Britney Spears. Or right. just get with it. Then Britney Spears. <sighs> I know it's tough to reject the record companies, but. Right, uh, but like I was saying. saying before, this last second t- uh, tangent, uh, yeah. it's one of those things. Like, it, Britney Spears could have been a song to suck you in, and then you get this completely different album that you're expecting. It would have been a pleasant surprise, or it could have pissed a lot of people off. You're like, I wanted eleven more songs like this, but I didn't get that. Fuck this. But then, like, I think, whereas like uh, the other one might not have had the same appeal, and but I think it's like what you're saying before, going against all the pop bands. I think is the is a nice drawing because like hey they hate the same shit I hate you know so well especially because like I said it was fifteen year old girls saying that they yeah. couldn't stand the stuff when this was the target demographic you know like that's just it's unheard of right 
All right, then I had fake. Fake was the one I thought was I thought was pretty good, but that's when it was like okay, it's blending it a little bit together. Um, the song "Why" I thought Colette's vocals on this track were terrific throughout the album. She's phenomenal. Um, simple three chord punk, but it was fun. And then Dirt came up. They did some big group backing vocals in, in Dirt, which I really liked. And I actually wish there was more of that on the album. And a nitpick, my only nitpick. So I had two nitpicks this whole album. One of them was that All Night Long was a little bit too long. They should have cut it, cut it in half. And that Dirt, for a closer, we talked about a good closer, right? A good right. closer's got to be more grandiose. just wasn't quite as grandiose as I hoped it would be. But apart from those two small nitpicks, it's a great album. Right. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. How about you, Mister Last? No, you said it. You said it very well. It's uh, this. Some forty one had a half hour of power. They had thirty nine minutes of uh, fury. So I dug it. Yeah. So, I like um, twenty five minutes of fury. I like it. Well, 39, but whatever. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they had some success with that. Pro- I assume they toured with Biff. I couldn't find anything about like who else they might have gone on tour with. Well, I we know they toured with Serial Joe, right? Um, yeah. and then so let's see, blah 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 blah. 2003, so they two years in between, they put out. Goes on a field trip. That's kind of like a Go-Go's type deal. It's like the Go-Go's do whatever. but yeah. uh, um, Which includes a single Let's Go, uh, produced by Peter Carroll and Doug Fury, Inc. Couldn't find much Can on Doug Fury. Can we talk about that song? Uh, hold on. Uh, executive producer being Biff Naked. Uh, CD is mixed by Sean Thingvolds. Uh, from what I could find, it did not make much of a dent in the charts. Uh, they even try to showcase at the legendary club, C- club CBGB's in New York City, how, uh, where the Ramones, Talking Heads, Blondie, Television, etc., uh, made names for themselves. But it didn't seem to yield much of a result, and they disbanded that year. So, hit me, Ted. So, I I really wish there was, and had we, had I not been just in a situation where at work. Uh, I'm really not capable of writing the uh, Max uh, Webster episode just yet. Uh, and I knew we had to get this one out. I would have tracked down Goes on a Field Trip because I want to hear that album. So if you have a copy of it, please just send us a DM. We'll give you our addresses. We want to hear it. It's it's tough to track down. It's not on YouTube, not on Apple Music, not on Spotify. I've checked. But the video for Let's Go is readily available. Yeah, the production value is much higher than seeing red. They're doing the big gang backup vocals like I liked on uh, the last track, Dirt, on uh, on uh, seeing red. They're doing that in that song, and they just sound a little bit more professional. 
like you would hope a band would grow. And it's a simple song. She's pissed at this guy she's dating because he's basically a schlub. And she just wants to go mm-hmm. to the beach. That's it. Right? Simple song. Again, not punching above their belt. And unfortunately, it didn't make it. Uh, and I think it's a good tune. And um, yeah, so if you have a copy of that album, please get in touch with us because we want to hear it. But that's what I will say. I, 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 <laughs> I, I can only imagine it's probably a great album. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of these days, if we can get our paws on it, then maybe we'll be able to um, do another like uh, track by track breakdown like we've been planning to do for some albums. I want to do the new Flatliners album coming out this month, but you're like, no, we'll do a whole Flatliners episode. Why can't oh, we just I'll do one album? Flatliners are on my list for next season. <sighs> I might disrag. Three bands on the list for next season. Oh, yeah? One of them I'm not looking forward to, but the other two, this should be good. Who is it? The one I'm not looking forward to? Yeah. I recently re-listened to our uh, Blue Rodeo podcast. Right. And I forgot that I promised to do a default episode. Oh. (laughs) I do not like that either. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be like half default, half Dallas Smith, and how he's kind of evolved himself into a country singer. Well, to quote default... We'll be wasting our time. <laughs> hey, we got through those not by choice albums. We can get through anything. Oh, I would I'd I'd be pinned down listening to not by choice for days rather than listen to fucking default. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Butt rocking piece of garbage. Anyway. <sighs> Who says I'm not relaxed? <laughs> Your move. Uh, oh yeah, right. I forgot. I got the script. Uh, okay, so post breakup, um, yeah. Britain had the most information here. So after the breakup, she played guitar for Biff Naked. I assume live because I did a quick skim of all the liner notes on the on Wikipedia. Granted, it's Wikipedia, but uh, yeah. didn't see her name on there at all. So she could have been a live guitar player. Um, by this point, she was going by Brit Black. She released an album, Blackout, in 2008. And, Ted, feel free to jump in at any time. Well, I listened to this album today. Um, uh, actually, yeah. I believe, I think it came out in 2005. Um, yeah. Or it got an American release in 2005 or something like that. She ended up pr- uh, promoting it on the Warp Tour. Um, but it really didn't make any kind of headroom in Canada. So today I was trying to look through different avenues to try to find the Ghost on a Field Trip album. And uh, I did try to look up Colette's solo work, but I was able to find on Spotify uh, Britt Black's Blackout album. So I have my thoughts. Uh, Do you want me to go track by track or do you want me to just kind of sum it up? Probably sum it up at this point, right? Choose your own adventure, my friend. I'm 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 just going to sum it up a little bit, okay? So she does very much... Do you know when we did our Biff Naked? Actually, you can hear she's not credited, but you can hear Biff's voice on some back on some backup vocals in here. So she's there. Um, you know how Biff in a couple of rounds she kind of did that butt rock slash right. arena rock kind of thing. And butt right. rock is not an insult. It's not with two T's. It's those radio stations. We don't play anything but rock. That's where it comes <laughs> from. Okay, it's kind of like that. Um, 
the energy is turned up to 11. Great energy on this album. She does a lot of those real hair metal influence guitar solos, which I'm a sucker for. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, there was a couple of tracks on here that she did do at least one ballad that I wasn't into just because I'm not into ballads, right? So yeah. I think there's only really two songs on here that I wasn't into um, that were like kind of like the really like true from the heart love songs. A lot of the songs are just like, don't fuck with me. Right. Which <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you can give me that vibe all day. And uh, I was a huge fan of it. Uh, you get little influences from bands like Incubus and stuff like that. But I thought this was a really good effort. And I don't know why Canadian radio didn't catch on to it. But I feel like we're going to be retreading a lot of the places that we went to when we talked about Biff Naked. Um, just about how wrong place, wrong time. US. Yeah, like I love myself today. I don't know. I don't get why that wasn't a huge hit in the US. Like rock wasn't playing women. Rock radio stations weren't playing women. They yeah. should have been. Because Brit Black, even in Canada, should have had more more of an impact. Because Blackout's a fun album. It's right. very Andrew WK party. Let's do it. Party fun. hard. Exactly. It's dialed to 11. It's good shit. I really enjoyed it. She does a cover of uh, She Sells Sanctuary by The Cult. You know that song? Oh, okay, yeah. But she does it in kind of the same sense that Great Big C did End of the World, where they okay. just went fast right so she goes fast but she doesn't take any of the heart away from it because i hate right. it when bands what you just sound like a, a bar band rushing through it no, right. no, she doesn't take any of the heart it's a worthy cover and uh yeah uh jet blackheart look up the song jet blackheart that for me was the one that could have been the radio single mm. so there was definitely some good shit on here yeah really good album cool um she also had in by 08 she had a new band stay beautiful uh couldn't find much there uh in 2009 she's contributed to the band lilix on a song yeah, or two guitar player i guess for a band. yeah um she was on the song dance alone uh but more recently she's been the owner of britain scissorhands in vancouver it's a hairstylist for the film industry and I, I said this last week, but I, I'm sure we could find more. But I said, what's up with punkers going into the the uh, <laughs> the hair? Because you got the dude from Gaslight, Alex Levine, uh, the base, also two basemen, the uh, Chris Steele from, or is it uh, what's his name, Ryan Steele, sorry, uh, from Alexis on Fire. He's their baseman. Both uh, barbers as well. When both their prospective brands took hiatuses. And her. So that's just three that came to the top of my head while I was writing the script. I'm sure there's other people, but, uh, and we there's... talked about this, where it's like this weird community of like tattoos, barbers, punk. It all seems to be in, in sync with each other. Well, I, I think I mentioned hair is very important in the world of punk rock. You know what right. I mean? Like, I still, to this day, as someone who has some tattoos, but also, you know, as a fan. <laughs> The family I have to provide for, I don't get where people find this money to get tattoos. Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's That's one thing I've never gotten about the punk rock world. Like, I've got a couple. They're all black and white. They're all relatively small. Yeah. I've actually got a bunch. I wouldn't even say it's a couple. It's a bunch. I've got a bunch of tattoos. 
Um, so the big sleeves and stuff like that, I'm like, how do you have the money or the time? I mean, we were also I late bloomers when we got our tattoos. We uh, so, I mean, some people, that. like, when they had, you know, they were just dumb kids um, and would just spend their money on tattoos. I remember Kyle telling me a story. He had a friend who was an artist who was, like, literally just, like, poked him. I think he sat, he even told me, I think one time he sat there with a bottle of whiskey at this guy's table, which is horrible if you know anything about tattooing because it thins the blood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's dumb. But like, even like, um, I remember reading about Laura Jane Grace's early days and like Mm. in high school would just have friends stick and poke. You know what I mean? And I, I think. I think had to get tetany shots and other stuff just because it was the horrible things. And so, I mean, people get them in different ways, but uh, the thing is, it is a bit of a hobby. It is a bit of a weird lifestyle. So, I mean, some people, instead of like, you know, I could go on a trip, I could buy this new TV, you know, I want to drop 500 or a grand on a new tattoo, a new back piece. You know, that's the thing. So, who is I, far I remember, be it from me to tell people how to spend their, their Benjamins? I remember our guy, Scott, who did our tattoos, our first tattoos. Yeah. Actually, he did all of yours, didn't he? Yeah. And then uh, by the time, because I had a couple in mind to get more, and then he left. And so I've been like, this is the problem. I've been a polar. I've been trying to, oh, where'd you get your tattoos? Who did those? And I'm like, okay, man. And I just never kind of like, I can't commit. Alex That's has right. a good girl who's Hamilton base. If you want, she touched up uh, his tattoos and she did a really good job. Yeah, um, I've, I, there's a few people I've uh, I've heard. She actually so. did one for Brent too. She she's good. Who um, is? Where's she from? Or what's what's her shop? She her shop is in Hass Village. Mm. What's it called? It's the Do you remember? Shop in Hass Village. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one. Um, but anyway, so he sent me two messages. One was a picture of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine of like his face through the claws that someone sent to him. He goes, you want it? Like, what do you mean? He's like, I'll do it for free. I'm like, what? He's like, I just, I just want to tattoo this. And I was like, yeah, I've heard stories like that. Hugh Jackman on me though. (laughs) And then later he sent me one of Brian Cranston and I was not watching Breaking Bad yet. I would watch it later, and I love Breaking Bad, but I wasn't watching it yet. And he sent me this picture of Cranston as Walter White with his like nose broken, and I was like, "What's this?" He goes, "You want it?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I'll tattoo it on you for free." I'm like, "Don't watch Breaking Bad." I'm like, "I don't want Hal from Malcolm in the Middle tattooed on me for, <laughs> for no reason. I don't want Tim Watley on me for no reason." You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah, I've heard stories of that, yeah. too, where people are still trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah. So they're like, you know, I'll spend an hour I'll do or a couple hours. I'll do a few little ones on you just so I can have them for my portfolio. Right. So. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's that's how some people get it. And but. also portraits are. Tough. You know, I, to I this day, I am never going to get a portrait on me. No, me Doesn't neither. Matter. I'll get matter. an album. I'll get certain tributes to certain singers that I love because their music has had such an impact on my life. Like I've, I've thought about getting like this trio of a few different singers that I love. Um, yeah. But, like I will never get just a straight portrait, but um, Let me guess what's the Brian last trio. I think I know. I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen. Yep. I'm going to say, uh, Oh fuck. Westerberg, Paul Westerberg. No. 
No, okay. I f thought for sure he'd be one. No. Um, what was the other one I was going to say? It was uh, Ian Curtis. Nope. All right, well, who would be the other two? Bruce and who else? Strummer and Buddy Holly. Okay, Buddy Holly? I love Buddy Holly. I've always you loved did. Buddy Holly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. It's one of the things. That's one of the bands. Actually, two of those are the ones that my dad drilled in my head. My mom gave me a lot of my Motown love, but Buddy Holly and Bruce were my dad. I remember at one point, I had this whole sleeve, this ska sleeve. Tattoo. Oh, I still have a ska sleeve in my head that I just want to get onto my I leg or my arm. Sleeve, and it was going to start with way up here, top of my arm. Yeah. Right here, Bob Marley. Ugh, poser. Ska, though? Come on. You, you can't tell the Ska story though, Bob Marley. I mean, you can go back to some of the other reggae then, artists. No, this is the thing. It was going to be three. So it was going to be Bob Marley in the center, Desmond Decker, and Toots Hibbert. Okay. They were going to be the three. And then underneath, as the waves come down, it was going to be like little logos. Right, mm. some fishbone logo, Boston's dog with the horns, right? Real right. big fish, like all that stuff. Select uh, like, and then where I I do have Walt Jabs go right now. I would have had all the two tone bands up here, right? And then it would have gone down like that. And then Bob would have been green, Desmond would have been red, and Toots would have been yellow, like Jamaica. But would have had the Trojan logo on me for Trojan Records, like. But I, uh, at the same time, I didn't want to do like, why am I committing myself to all of this? Just get the tattoos as they come, get them as they feel, right. as you feel small and stuff like that. Like, there's a tattoo I want right now for for Freddy. Right, it's just gonna be a fox with the sleeping giant behind him. I'm gonna get mm -hmm. over here. That's the next tattoo I want. I'm set with that. It's good, right? I, my kid. I I'm happy. I want to get as like my Scott. Cause you know how much I love lesson Jake. Yeah. I want to get the, um, Oh my God. What's the album? Oh, I'm having a freaking brain fart. Right Losing now. streak. No. Hello. Rock view. Hello. Rock. Thank you. Fuck sakes. The, the hello. Rock view guy diving off the roof, but like, I want to have it diving into a, uh, basically off a pier. I don't know how I would do this, but I want to have yeah. him diving off a pier. And what I want, is at the bottom of that water the real big fish fish and then on the you get under, the fishbone in there too under yeah and the fishbone fish <laughs> and uh at the pier under a street light is the street light manifesto guy and then cool. up in the sky because i want it at night so i wanted yeah. uh the little uh the planet smashes little uh astronaut guy on the stomp records that like thing that's oh, always dude. on theirs i want that floating up in the space that's what I want to get. And I, I want to find a way to try to pepper in a few more ska bands, but that's if what I'm going to If you're going to get this tattoo, yeah. do it now. Oh, I know. Like, this, this is not podcast stuff. This is you and me talking. Right now, you're saving money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get it now. Get it right. now. Because you're going to be sitting there when you're 50 going, fuck, I want the ska tattoo. <laughs> get it now. Yeah. Get it now. You know what I mean? You don't have to buy shit for anybody. Like he said. You know? But, uh, fuck. 
This is supposed to be it's short. Gonna stack? Be, it's gonna be like it's gonna be like four hundred bucks, but still. Oh, probably yeah, but more than that. Yeah, you have to include all of our tattooed jibber jabber in there. Oh no, I'm not editing shit. This is all going in. Yeah, I was just I was just talking to my brother. He got mad at me for some of the shit I talked about odds in the Rascals podcast. I'm like, did you not hear me tell Brian to take that out of the podcast? He's like, yes, you're right. And I did <laughs> you hear me Brian. say? Did you hear me say? I probably won't because I'm lazy. But. <laughs> Um, anyway, 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 we're talking about Brit. Uh, yeah, Flex, so uh, the was it? It's a uh, Britain Scissorhands. Yeah, that's their shop or like her studio or whatever. But um, well, yeah, I and follow then, uh, Britain Black on uh, on the old uh, Instagram. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because because yes. I didn't have a lot of information on what the others are doing since you're a first rate creeper. Why don't you fill me in? Well, there's not much to tell. Yeah, she's big into the hair. She does the hair, right? Uh, she seems to be happy out in Vancouver. Um, there was an interview with her when they asked her, would you ever want to get back into music? She said, absolutely not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I will say, and I don't, I'm not doing this to shame her, because clearly I've had drinks tonight. I'm not straight edge. She does not appear to be straight edge anymore. Well, I mean, let's be honest. That's also a bit of a passing fad here and there. Like some people do it when they're young. Exactly. When you're in high school and you're 15 and you can't legally buy booze, it's a lot easier to be straight edge. (laughs) Get out of here, you fucking earwig. Crawling on my laptop? Jesus. Um, But I know Colette Trudeau has had uh, some success doing a bunch of uh, solo stuff and she because she's a Métis singer like I found a LinkedIn profile which I'm pretty sure is her because like she's been on it says the deputy minister and chief executive officer for the Métis nation in BC wow Uh, so because this picture looks like her but yeah um, so I, I had the same thing is she in a wedding dress like smiling huge no, she's in like a business kind of uh, business suit kind of jacket okay. thing. Because Colette is spelled with one L. Yeah. Okay. So I looked her up on Instagram, private account. And then I looked her up on Spotify just to try to see if I could find any of the solo stuff you were telling me about, which you'll get into in just a second. Well, I couldn't find that. I did find, and this is from a Colette Trudeau, same picture as the Instagram Colette Trudeau. Um, several playlists that she has put up, but like one is only one song. It's a long, like Mozart song for getting to sleep. And this one's called sad sack, which is kind of funny. It's got the 1975 on it. Um, do I know anybody else? Brett Dannon's on this list. The chain smokers of just like sad songs that she likes. That's cool. So if you want to check out a couple of playlists that she's made, Oh, she's got 59 playlists? Oh, shit. I didn't even see this. Her Shazam tracks, throwback jam, throwback jams. Okay, you want to see? Okay, Brian, we are into this. <laughs> this is from the girl who does not like Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera. Oh, is she, is she recanting? Is she going well, back? Hold on. Yes. Yes. So I'm looking at it right now. Okay, throwback jams. Man, I feel like a woman. Wonderwall. Wannabe. No Scrubs. I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez and Ja Rule. What's My Age Again? And then there she is. 
baby one more time. Oh, doctor. <laughs> it's actually, it's, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie. If you're looking for like a throwback dance party, she actually came up with a great list here. Yeah. What else she got? She got Yeah by Usher, Hollaback Girl, Green Us. Uh, all right, all right, Green Ted. Day. We're already clocking in at two two yeah. eleven. Let's let's finish this a lot. All I want for Christmas is you is is on here. That's a great song. Yeah, but it seems very <laughs> odd to just have that on a random playlist that's not I a know. Christmas playlist. But I'm not here to critique your playlists. I just found so much stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> so call it oh, as a public a lot. As a shut up, as a uh, solo singer, um, she had a song called "I Don't Want to Know," which was added on rotation at chum radio stations across Canada in January '08. Uh, Colette winning best up and coming artist of the month. Uh, it's found that song found its way on multiple top twenty charts. Uh, re- recruited UBC film students to help her in the creation of the music video. That's fun. Um, Headline numerous shows in the greater Vancouver area, playing with such artists as Headley and Faber Drive. Being an Aboriginal artist, Colette had the opportunity to be featured as a performer on APTN's My TV. Uh, it filmed her Vancouver performance at the New West, New Music West and was interviewed at Gas Station Studios in Vancouver. And her song No Friend of Mine appears in two episodes of South of Nowhere. Don't Say Goodbye was added to the movie The Breakup Artist in 09. Um, and Freeze was included in the 2010 release of Dancing Ninja. Uh, she began in 2010 working with Rockstar Music Corporation on her career. Her self-titled album was released through MySpace in 2010. It says she's now a member of the EDM band Red City. And uh, yeah, so she if, if this call it Trudeau is the one... But although that would actually make sense because you said the, her picture was her married. So it says Colette Trudeau hyphen Bailey hmm. on here. Yeah, I, I try looking up uh, Colette Bailey. Well, it says it's Colette Trudeau hyphen Bailey. Uh, so, oh. I mean, if she is married, that would make sense that that's her picture. But according to this uh, LinkedIn profile, like I said, she's been working with the Métis Nation uh, and she like has her master's degree and just uh, has been really working on in advocacy out there for a bunch of different things. So good for her she's Great. really crushing yeah, it now good. you were scamming the other two what were they up to so i found leah leah okay. uh leah seems to be doing great um so she is our age she looks like she's like all 25. but she looks like she's like 25 and she looks great and one of the reasons is is like she's totally discovered yoga so she is into yoga she is into new age stuff and she lives in alberta and she's married and sorry bud not that i ever thought i'd have a chance but you never know (laughs) you know but her husband is probably like shit i got with the drummer from live on release (laughs) fuck yeah you know what i mean and she's doing great. A lot of new age stuff. Uh, wouldn't be surprised. If, like my wife, she's Wiccan because she's very into, you know, nature and stuff like that. But a lot of beautiful pictures of her by mountains and stuff like that. And lots of yoga. So that's what her thing is. I was Wasn't a she little like Ben Harper. What's from the earth is the greatest worth. Or is that Marley? No, it's Ben Harper. Good, that's what good job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no pictures of her playing the drums. Ah. Well, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, she had a picture of her singing with like a jazz quartet in San Francisco. 
That's but cool. um, no picture of her playing the drums or anything like that. Well, it's like Britain, right? She probably packed everything up when she changed careers. And, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. music industry can really drive people down. Like, it's the, the, the thankless slog of trying to win fans and, you know, the music industry politics and all this other shit. And the music industry has changed since they were in it. That it's even more thankless now so i mean it makes sense that none of them want to really pick it up so i'll also add that felicity the bass player fox um she has not accepted my friend request (laughs) (laughs) next week to see if she ever does she appears to be very much into skateboarding still because like her profile pic is of someone skateboarding and then she's got a little emoji of a skateboard um, along with an emoji of a family. So I imagine she has a family. Right. Um, she's got an emoji of a skull. I don't know what that means. And a big building. I don't know what that means. Probably means it she lives like in a, a condo or an apartment or, like, or something. Like or maybe she's in maybe she's in real estate. She is friends with still with Britain Ireland and well Brit Brit Black. Yeah, because that's her husband's name. Her husband's a producer, yeah. And uh, Biff Nankin. Okay, so there you go. That was the one thing I found interesting. Leah is not friends with any of them, nor Ooh. is Colette. Maybe there is some bad blood there. Could be. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. Leah seems like she's not into bad blood. She seems super cool, super right. chill, which is some shit me and you can get. Um. As the kids say, <laughs> you got no chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I think last in our in our failed attempt of recording this, you said uh, we should reach out to one of them. So I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll do a part two and see if we can get some more answers to fill in some of these blanks. Maybe, um, maybe. But I, I, I but, think that the the thing here was, I don't know. I I don't want to call it wasted potential because it eventually reached the point in their lives are so young. Yeah, that it just wasn't for them anymore. Well, this is, but yeah, it's like, going, they could have been really, really good. Well, it's one of those things, you know, uh, like I said, at the end of the Biff Naked one, they had to catch the right time for their brand of music to take off, which I think yeah. they were a little early for. Um, oh, I, think I think they're on schedule. Well, that's, we'll have, we'd have to go back through like the 2000s album charts, like see what other types of women rock bands are like, what was dominating to see just- if, if they could have got into the the pop punk yes but again like we were talking about could be sexist so it could be you know they might not have accepted them or like at the warp tour people could have been real dickheads or something you know i mean if they got on the warp tour so um you know it could have been that they were in the wrong time uh maybe if they hung around from their album or two they could have caught that streak and got more pop maybe gotten another soundtrack or something like that um maybe after the second album maybe there was some frustrations with each other maybe label problems where it it did it did end less than uh acrimoniously is that the right word yeah it is sure whatever the less less civil let's just say brian you gotta stop using words (laughs) you gotta stop using words you don't know the meanings of you (laughs) idiots anyway so it could have been one of like 10 reasons why they, they called it so early, but because they were so young, they got a whole new lease of like, you know, I, I've lived this 
do I want to keep doing it or do I want to just like, you know, I got to fulfill a dream that so many people never got to do. And I did it before I was like 20. So then they still could have gone to college. They could have done all these other yeah. things. So, I mean, kudos to them for giving it a Let shot. me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Um, I've said this for other artists. I didn't dare say it to Daniel because he made it perfectly clear to me that, you know, Serial Joe was awesome. But that was that part of his life. Yeah. And if that is the case, like, I totally get it. I'm not the man I was in college. Yeah. Um, I'll, I will often think back to the things I did in college when I was like, <laughs> And I'll think, wow, you are here now. You have a child. Please do not think back to those days because that's just going to fuck you up and make you regret everything you ever did up to this point. Right. Um, but I get not wanting to revisit it, even though the nostalgia oh, yeah. circuit's huge. And I think that if Live on Release were to do like go on tour with Biff Naked tomorrow, and she was like, here's Live on Release, people go fucking ape shit. I think they would, but it's one of those things, you know, like every, as much as you and I like to dwell on certain things in the past and this and that, every step that you take leads you to a spot where you're supposed to be like every step, every misstep or whatever you perceive that you made in college led you to the life that you have now. Can you imagine your life without your wife and son? No. So there you go. Or maybe you would have married some other freak or, um, I've, I've thought of that. Yeah. Or married or, some other freak. What if, <laughs> what if you stayed in Dauphin and married some Manitoba freak? Um, I was going to stay in. There's nothing for me. In I know. But I'm just saying. Or what if you had gotten yeah, to a job a in. possibility. But I'm saying, like, what if you could have gotten a job in, like, uh, um, in Winnipeg or something in a bigger city and, like, you know, stayed in Manitoba or, like, you know what I mean? Or. Who knows? Maybe if I had followed through on certain things, but like, you know, every step. And so all their steps that they took led them to where they are now. And they all collectively seem happy and content with themselves. So exactly. There you go. By the way, it said some other freak, even though she, she would find it funny. I I don't want people to think Bryn's a freak. No, Uh, (laughs) you know know what I mean? Yeah, also, exactly. the amount of times I've been called a freak in my life is ridiculous. So, I call, it's funny. So, uh, the other girl who works radio with me for radio news in, in our newsroom, often I'll go, I've got this friend. And when I say this friend, it's that friend I always tell you about. <laughs> it's Joe. It's, it's, it's always Joe. <laughs> she goes, I've got this friend. She mean, you mean that friend? That friend. <laughs> no, freak? You. yeah Dolph, uh, Dolph freak. i uh, everyone yes, thinks I, I, by I, the way also everyone thinks you're eight feet not seven feet so of course i'm not even seven feet the hell i tell everyone you're eight feet you're <laughs> no i don't think ted's wife is a freak at all let me just put that <laughs> no. on record <laughs> she's fine she thinks right. it's funny if we call her anyway. a freak she'd be funny um yeah. all right so i think uh we've I think it's false advertising calling this one a short short stack, but whatever. That's it is up what to it you. Is. That's up to you. The editing oh, yeah. is in your hands. You can make yeah, this a short yeah. stack, or you can just make this three minutes shorter than our Rascals episode, which was about <laughs> a half an hour longer than it should have been. Uh, whatever. There's some good stuff here. We'll see. I'll, I'll see. Midnight. Yeah, I know. I got fr- to take, take a leak, and I got it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I got to take a shower, and I got to 
launder all my clothes. I don't know. Yeah, doing laundry at midnight, you buffoon. Oh my God. Laundry at midnight, you're right. You even know um, how to do laundry. <laughs> how dare you? I'm saying you're a mad child. How dare you? <laughs> of course not do laundry. I do laundry all the time. All right. Laundry and the lawn. Those are my things. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Ted, when I put <laughs> this way, one Alex, up, Alex is not like that. <laughs> He's mentioned, would you two stop doing that? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no deal, Bennett. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I eventually put this one up and the sky one will be up soon, uh, what's on tap? After okay, that. So, we're, so we'll, we'll probably have a couple on, of weeks. We're working on our, yeah, we're, I'm working on our two-parter, which is going to be Max Webster and Kim Mitchell. Those will be released as a part one and a part two. We do need another short stack because it's going to take me a while to write that and listen to those episodes. So short stacks, let's discuss. Well, we're thinking one or two albums. Uh, this does not have to make the make the podcast. No, I gotta take um, a whiz now, so we'll wrap it up here. <laughs> we'll talk about we'll, we'll this text, later. We'll text about it. Yeah, but oh, uh, oh, oh, this is good because I did this a bunch of times in the first draft, and I'll do it. I'll do it as my closer here. So this is good. All show. right, Ready? I'm Brian. You, you first. I'm Ted. Hey, Nani Nani. <laughs> we'll just you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs>